you know, I haven't had cash flow. I mean, we never talked about that yesterday. I haven't yeah. had cash flow for freaking a couple of years. And that, so you didn't have like interest from some stuff, REITs. Yeah, you have all that stuff, but it's not, I don't look at it as cash flow. No, that, yeah. Like that's like yeah, fighting yeah, inflation. I, I look at that as like, I'm, I'm, you know, I mean, I, I was smart when I first sold the final time, at least I just set aside cash. You know, I know what I'm going to need, you know, for a year. And then you let your, everything go in the market, do what it's doing. You put enough in the bonds and then you take enough for another year again. And then hopefully some equity sells somewhere. And I've done all those things. But I miss the fact that every month or every week, my business was billing money. No, for so sure. And, and next thing you know, every month I had cash. And yeah. it was just coming in. And now it's like, it's not there. It's not coming so in it's anymore. It's not coming in. Like, what are you going to do? You know? Yeah, yeah that's, like, that's the biggest problem. When you, have, when you have a business, you have a cash cow, lifestyle, all good, boom. Now you get a bunch of money mentally. You don't want to touch it. Well, so many people, business is a lifestyle. And it was for me too. It was part of your life. And yeah. I, I think if you if you run your business, or you do a business you love, you run it a certain way where you do the right thing, money comes. Yeah. You have to have a little luck. You got to have the right product, yeah. the right people, the right, you have to have it right. You have to be good. But if you focus on the money, it's not going to come. If you do the right thing, the money comes. Yeah. And that's how I always was. And then when you sell the business, you get all the cash, you're excited as hell. You got a new bank account. You take a picture. I'm sure you did. You take a picture of yourself with the when the wire transfer comes in. You're like, that's me. And then, right. and then guess what? 20 minutes later, you're like, Did you actually do it when you got the cash? Yeah. No, I didn't. You didn't I, do it? I should have done it. I have a that. picture like this. And then I was like, and then afterwards, you feel like, then you go through like the stages of guilt. You know, I'm like, yes. God, I, I, I worked, you know, I had this team who worked so hard for me and I felt, I felt guilty. Still to this day, I can't talk to people because I feel guilty. And uh, you can't talk to them. A lot of them, I can't. No. I mean, did you have? Did you have stock options? Oh well, what happened was when the first exit, when we first sold half the business. That took off. I had no problem with that. That was mine, and I always paid people really well. I, I paid them more than the market, and because uh, they worked hard, and I treated them, they were family. And then um, before we exited, when all the private equities got in, everybody got phantom shares, which is yeah, you know, which is phantom is what it is. And because we sold during COVID, the numbers didn't hit what they thought. So therefore, the phantom shares didn't cash out the way they should. So everybody was mad. And as much as I wanted to take it out of my pocket, I couldn't because I had a minimum. And it wasn't a mental. Like Sometimes we all have these mental numbers in our head. Yeah. You got to have a mental number. That's fine. But is it a real number? Are you going to spit off the right amount of interest that's going to live your life? You're not going to deplete your money. You're going to plan for worst case scenario. That was the amount I had left over. Whether it was low or high to someone else, it was right that for was me. It. it was right for me. It was yeah. it. So... If we sold four or five months earlier, everybody would have maxed, they would have maxed out all mm -hmm. of their shares, but COVID came. So still to this day, I feel bad seeing any of those people. You know that uh, the way we've done this one, we <coughs> sold because we had the same story with COVID, but a whole bug of stories of what happened. But at the end, when we sold, there were some people that came really at the end and their cash out wasn't big. Some mm -hmm. people came early and they became multimillionaires yeah. and some people came in. Uh, and they were doing such a good job. And so what we did was, uh, and it was actually, I was glad because my, my previous partners, private equity, it's just the one that you love to hate. Mm -hmm. They were amazing. And they called me and they said, Hey, let's go and give them bonuses. And they had no reason to do it I don't, because that's mm -hmm. it. They're getting out. That's they, they don't even know those people personally. Like, let's give them bonuses. Whoever you think was involved in the business, if it's not that's an nice. employee. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we took a couple millions out and we just, that's people good. that, and I think almost every tons of people had uh, stock options, so it was it was nice. So in that case, uh, for, but uh, it's a it's, it's hard. a challenge, yeah. It is. I mean, at the end, is I'll never forget we're on the call with the investors, everybody, and we're trying to figure out you know what to dole out because we didn't hit the numbers because of COVID, and I I threw seven figures more back in, and it went to certain people, 
And those are the people who are madder than anyone. Oh, so it was, unappreciated. It went to certain, you know, we had different tiers and it went to all of them. And the, the high earners are the ones who are the most mad. And I was like, damn, I can't help it. So I, think I that, felt bad for like, there were people that were like supposed to maybe get like 250 and they may have gotten like a thousand dollars. And no matter what you give that person, yeah. they're going to be mad. You, yeah. you can't make them happy. And still to this day, I'll feel bad because I wanted them to have their house paid off. I wanted them to have these things. Yeah. Yeah. And in the end, I can't do anything about it. You know, it's, it's besides go build another business and make sure and that call you get them, them hired again yeah. and then treat them right next time. That's That'll my nice. goal. That's yeah. my goal. Yeah, that's that's nice. That's nice. So let's go and introduce you, okay? I think yeah, uh, you'll do the we'll best introduction. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so before we start, okay, we're neighbors. Um, you have a beautiful home, and we're going to use that in the intro. It's one of the most spectacular homes actually in South Florida. And you, you build it yourself after your exit. Your name is Brad Tuckerman. Yeah, I'm Brad Tuckerman. Yeah. And um, <laughs> it was in the Wall Street Journal. Yes, it was. It was in the yes, Wall Street Journal everywhere. Just an amazing job. Um, and I, I wanted to say uh, we met first time. When I came over to look at my place and uh, you drove by and you saw my, and I, I was with a boxy chum shirt and you said, you're Joe, right? And I was like, how do you know? I was like, boxy chum. Like, you knew boxy chum? Yeah, it's yeah. a small world. I didn't know boxy. My girlfriend knew boxy chum. Yeah. I didn't know boxy chum. Yeah, because I don't expect a guy to know boxy, but we had mutual friend from EO. Yeah, yeah. So, Lille, so. so yeah, EO, which by the way, I never knew it existed when I was in my own business. I didn't know. I, I just did everything on my own with the chip on my shoulder and I had to That's win. That's the best way to do it. <laughs> it to a point because I felt alone. <laughs> and so, yeah, so there's a, a business called Zendu that I'm on the board of and I invested in. And the CEO is a great, great woman, uh, um, Lillian. Yeah. And uh, I don't know why I just forgot her name for a second. I just spoke to her 20 minutes ago. Cameras. Yes, you, Lillian. 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 Yes, she's amazing. <laughs> so, um, and then so we always talked about you because she's always talking about growth hacking. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, can you stop saying growth hacking? You know, I can't hear it anymore. You know, but it's, uh, you were good at it. I mean, yeah. yeah so. that, was, that was my thing. Yeah. So, uh, when you came over and you said yes. And, I, you know, there's something before you buy a house when you meet the neighbors. It does something to you. He's like, okay, I love this guy. I should have been an ass. It's, it's yeah, you should have yeah. been an ass. Now you're stuck with me over yeah, here. Damn, damn. Until you sell your place, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. I'll probably buy your How long have you been here? How long have you been? Uh, I think three years and change. Three years? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the, just uh, for those who know Fort Lauderdale, I think that was the Wayne Heisinger's uh, property and yeah. you bought it. Who's that? For Wayne Heisinger owns uh, waste Wayne management. Heisinger? Where have you been? No, no he, he owns waste management. He's a multi-billionaire, self-made, kind of like a guy of that didn't graduate. Right now, but yeah. He passed away. Yeah. Oh, okay. He okay. was uh, waste management. He owned the Miami Dolphins at one point. Blockbuster. Oh, so oh, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not yeah. clued in right now. Okay. No, it's funny because the water taxi comes by always. And when they're not telling lies about us, they talk about Wayne Heisinger. And they talk about it like everybody would know. Not everybody knows who the guy is, no. nor should they. But he was some billionaire. He had multiple billion-dollar companies. And at one point, he owned almost this whole road. Yeah. Um, so he sold it years before, and it sat dormant. Some some fund bought it. And uh, this road was neglected. So, you know, I was looking for, looking for land to build a house. And, you know, I yeah. think I felt in this town, if you're going to buy the nicest, like Las Olas, one of the nicest roads, buy – a big piece of land right off of that, eventually the road will get fixed up. Yeah. You know, we're getting close. The road's and you're, you're pretty good at that, right? You, you've done this in this road, and now you have another project we're going to talk about and talking about a little bit after. But I want you to talk about your business that you exit, how you build it up. What was it exactly? So I was originally a photographer. Okay. Um, and high school, I got made fun of. Everybody like, oh, you could take my kids' high school portraits one day. And uh, I was like, yeah, screw you. But so I went to college for it at RIT. 
and uh, which ironically was the best school in the country for photography. I never looked at it. I just knew it was and I hoped to get in and I got in. So, uh, you know, so long story is, you know, you know, internships matter. And one time and uh, I took an internship between summer, junior and senior year in New York. And I only got the internship because one of my professors mixed me up with another kid. He literally mixed me up. He thought I was someone else. And uh, he no, said- lots of brides out there. That's why. Lots of what? Another Brad. Lots of, another Brad. His lots name was very close to mine, but not Brad. Johnny? No. 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 That's fair. Not a Brad. Do you know any Brad? Brad. His name was Brad. No. Brad no. Do you know any Brads or no? No, not no. Brad. No, not friends. No. 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 My wife thought she's British and she thought everybody in America was named Brad. So it's pretty funny. She actually married a Brad. I'm like, the only person I ever knew was Brad was like Revenge of the Nerds. You know? That's it. Yeah. There's so, not a lot of Brads. Oh my God. That's yeah. a good one. That's it. <laughs> So hold me to a higher standard of Brad. But uh, so so I took so I got this job as internship by accident. And uh sure enough, it was in New York City. It was running like early days of digital photography. So like really early days. And uh I didn't know anything. I just was I had a book below my desk, and every time the guy walked out, I read it and I learned what to do. And uh so I I you know fake it till you make it, and I kind of did that. But from there I met everybody in my entire career literally launched from that. All my big deals, event mm. early deals came on, all my relationships came on because I was recommended for a job by accident. That's so amazing. It's ridiculous. And I talk about it as always, I'm, I'm open because luck is everything. You can only be so good at some at a job and you'll still be broke. I mean, you, you know, when you, you said the word luck in Hebrew, they're saying that uh, if you if you use the Kabbalah terms for it, luck in, it's three letter words in Hebrew. It's <coughs> M, Z, and L. M stands for place, makom. Z stands for time and L to do. Mm -hmm. Right place, right time and do. You have to actually do it at yeah. the end. So. It is true. I think, you know, if you're just talking about photography, I went to school with some of the greatest photographers and their work was beautiful. Mine was eh. And, uh, but I had that business acumen or I was able to turn into something else. And more so than not, I was in the right place at the right time. So how did you build a business out of this? Because we spoke about the story downstairs, but I'm yeah. curious. Okay, so go into it. So the, the first so, camera you bought the oh well actually before actually, that. Uh, before that, before so, that. So funny story is when I when I was in this this New York job that I shouldn't have had, this woman walks in one day and she literally walked in like nosy as can be like she owned the place i was like what the hell's going on and it was like me in a room and she just literally it's like us here someone just walking through the cameras and like like she's been there mm -hmm. i'm like who are you what are you doing and she started telling me she's from fort lauderdale and they're a pre-press house and they were putting a studio in and you know whatever she's looked researching and and i was like all right so i spoke to her for a few minutes and she's like if you ever want to move to florida give us a call so i go back to college and then that winter, it's in Rochester, so you know it's cold as fuck and it's snowing. So that winter, I, f I literally go outside to de-ice the car. I fall on my ass and I walk up and I said to my girlfriend at the time, who's my wife now, uh, I said, listen, instead of going to New York, let's just go to Florida. And she's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, I'm not, I don't want to deal with this anymore. And uh, so I literally called the woman and long story short, next thing you know, I had a job down here. So backtrack, I had a job I shouldn't have had. From an internship I, that you got lucky getting. Yeah, got lucky. So Some rando walks into the studio. And, and you were with your wife at the time. Yeah. 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 And uh, she was on a visa. So we'll talk about that later. Um, so actually, you know, we're finding ourselves on the auto train. And two days after graduation, I'm working for this place. And uh, I worked there for about two years. I built a photo studio. And that's, I hate to say it, that's back when like people were barely doing photography in newspapers. If you sold products, sneakers yeah. and whatever. So, so, I, so one of the bigger clients we had was Sports Authority um, back in the day, pre-Dicks. 
uh, Dick's Sporting Goods, sorry. And uh, and we were taking pictures of shoes. It'd be like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of shoes. And they were paying like 60 bucks a pop. I was like, 60 bucks, 60 bucks, 60 bucks. But it wasn't my money. It was the guy who owned the place. So eventually, you know, I had some interns and one of them happened to have crazy cash from the family. And and uh, we just became friendly. And I remember going into my boss and I said, hey, listen, I just, I need a raise. And he's like, what do you mean? I've been paying you you're two years out of school. You're making cash. I'm like, I know I am. But I also know what I'm billing for you. I said, so I think it's just the amount of time and effort and hours I'm putting in. I'm killing myself. And he's like, you're not worth it. And I'm like, all right, fine. So I literally asked my intern and I said, hey, I met him at Arby's on Oakland Park Boulevard. And I said, which isn't there anymore. And uh, I still like Arby's fries though. But uh, so I said, let's meet, let's talk. We, and I meet him and I'm like, let's start a business. So I didn't have the cash. So luckily he had the cash. He loaned me the money. And we started a business together and uh, that lasted because it was, you know, he didn't really need the money and that lasted a couple of years and I bought him out. And uh, from there on, I just had a, had a, I had to win. So yeah. I just kept growing the business and uh, you know, I didn't have an EO. I didn't have anybody. I was just learning on the fly. What years did you buy him out? Uh, 99. 99. Okay. And then from 99, you run it by yourself. You had, uh, you started hiring. You still have, right? Oh yeah. I already had people working. Yeah. Yeah. How many W2s did you have uh, when you bought them out? Three. Three. And then when you sold the company, when you merged the company later on and sold it, how many? uh, We just exited. We had about a thousand W2s and maybe 4,000 1099s. So it it wasn't a small business, right? What the criteria? More than 500 employees. It's no longer a small business. Yeah, it was big. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's a, it's a, it's a photo studio business. So 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 explain what the business is. We were doing a lot of portraits for people in high school. Okay. I'm kidding. Oh, I have no idea. (laughs) We don't sell porn. We do porn. No. So when it's funny, when people ask me, what do you do really? I'm like porn. And they're like, oh really? And I look at you. I'm like, no, I'm (laughs) not sure. That would have been good for this podcast. We would have a lot of questions. Well, I taught most people I do that. So it works out better. Uh, I tell them it's just my wife and I though. All the porn's about us. No, yeah. so so. Uh, but anyway, so we're not deleting that part. Don't go back and they say can leave that in. We keep it's it. really not about us. <laughs> That's why we give him alcohol, guys. Yeah. So so I need more. You can get your sponsor. Mm-hmm. You get your sponsor going. So. Um, what do we do? So if like, let's say you go to shop, luckily it was the internet. So early days, it was around uh, newspaper ads, right? So if you yeah. shop at a newspaper, we did those photos. Well, actually, yeah, I'll take the tequila. Are you paying attention to me? I am. He's not even listening. I don't feel like, I'm, like I'm invite gonna... me here <laughs> and you listen to me. Uh, thanks, bro. I'm going to ask you a question and then look somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> don't say he's not honest, guys. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Okay, go. I don't want to tell you now. No. So, uh, <laughs> what were you we talking about? I forgot. Oh, what do we do, right? Yeah, well, you do. So, early days was the newspaper, you know, and I, I used to tell people if you put it in your birdcage, yeah. all the piece of papers, all those ads, that's what we did. So, I made my money on selling stuff, you know, the photography and all that stuff, the Sunday circulars you would get and made a living. I built a whole business on that design, photography, copywriting multiple languages, whatever. Hmm. And then internet came around. And next thing you know, we're doing thousands of images. Instead of doing like 20 a week, we were doing 20,000 a week. Wow. So, and that needed a lot of technology. So, we built our own technology that allowed us to tie into the backend systems and and shipping fulfillment and all that stuff. So, we would find ourselves in the warehouse distribution centers in the middle of nowhere. So, if something shipped from China, we'd know it. Second, it hit the warehouse, we'd photograph it, do all the copywriting, all the retouching. We offshored, we had our own offshore components. Next thing you know, it was live within like a couple hours after it hit the warehouse. So speed to market is everything, right? So if you, you know, from your days, if you have something sitting in the warehouse, you're not making any money. You got to go, you got to move it. You and you're more likely to go on sale, right? Yeah. 
So, so I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to understand. I'm, I'm going off because I wanted to understand. So, say a company that sells shoes right now or clothing mm-hmm. online, right? They would go and say, oh, "I'm buying a thousand styles every day. I'm putting it online. I need a thousand styles a day." Mm-hmm. Now, one option is to have in-house photography to get everything and upload it. Uh, mm-hmm. The other option is to go to someone like you mm-hmm. and say, we're just gonna ship you those products and then just throw right. it to the garbage, whatever, bill me for each right. style every day, 1,000, right? So is that is that Yeah, and you build a machine around it. But a lot of times these companies, you know, it's one thing to have employees to be able to turn the work out and in a perfect world, something's coming every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't come that way. And let's say you're a bigger company that you have three brands and Guess what? Christmas hits the same time for all three brands. Mm-hmm. Every sale hits the same time for every three every three brands. So next thing you know, you're hiring triple staff, and then you have your peaks. They're all working. Then suddenly you have everybody not working. Yeah. So or you just hire a portion of it, then you wind up freelancing everything. So it's cyclical, right? So a lot of times people bring it in house, and a lot of people people kick it out of house. So there mm-hmm. were times we lost business in house. There are times we gained it back out. Do you think if you run your own clothing company, would be worth it to build it in house? If I, I would have to weigh it. So let's say, uh, well, like I'm thinking of the clients that I know we did and we have. In my mind, I'm thinking Fashion Nova. Would it be worth it for a company like Fashion Nova that upload about 1,500 styles a day? Uh, would it be worth it for I, them to go I, and outsource it? I doubt they're even doing all the photos themselves. They're probably getting a lot of a vendor provided. So even though they're buying at manufacturers, whatever, they might be getting from the warehouse. Models, I guess like they, they don't have just a stack photo. If it's the same models. And so there's a couple of ways you can do it nowadays. You can also not shoot the model on a model and mm-hmm. then are digitally done on it too. Huh. Uh, but uh, the reality is I would probably, it's not fair because I know what to do. So yeah. I'd build the machine. You know, you yeah. build a machine and like, there's actually stuff that we worked on that uh, or actually was in my brain. I don't think we ever worked on it. I wanted to, uh, that's what happens when you bring in private equity. You can't do your, your, yeah. your games and things you want to do anymore. So I was trying to cut out every step in the process and, uh, that's how you can get them done. 100%. So if I'm someone who I know and put a thousand a day out, I'll do it in house. If it's, consistent. you know, the system, so you can build it in, yeah. you build it in house. So, you know, you can tie it into your systems, right? Let's say that everything's RFID you can reduce your touches. So like if you take two steps out of your process and you do that a hundred times a day, you lose 200 steps. How much more can you get done in that time? If, if someone's listening right now and they're selling mm-hmm. online, Mm-hmm. I guess that would be a good, a good. One. I'm available for consulting. No, yeah, it's <laughs> available. I'm allowed again, and it's not again. cheap. Okay, but, but now you have automatic they, What would you recommend them doing yeah. if they have products, random products, every day that they have to shoot? What is there any system that oh yeah. use this? Software? I think I think everybody should have a minimum in house. Not everything. I think okay. if, if you have enough going on, you should have someone there every day because no matter what, you have social content, you got your other things, you can get a basic, I'll say, I hate to say basic, but like a mid to low level photographer, have them on staff every day. They're going to get stuff done that you need. Just make sure they have other stuff to do and know you're not going to maximize them. Then when you have your peaks and valleys, then you have a partner to do it. That's the people I always felt were most successful when you did a bit in house, you did a bit out of house. And I think the world is like that. I always say people jump from ditch to ditch. You're in this ditch. It's all wrong. Then you jump in that ditch. It's all wrong, and you jump back in that ditch. 100%. And, and that's uh, and that's. I'm not getting political, but that's the political life too. It's yeah. either or. Well, I bet somewhere in the middle. So I think when you think of content, you should have a little bit in house and a little bit out of house, and you flex either way. And it's about having a partner that you have out of house. So in the end, you're not negotiating them every week because you know they're being fair. You're being fair. It's a win win in the end if everybody understands what the what the deals were. So I would say if everybody that's out there, you can do a little bit of both.
Yeah. How do you how do you differentiate like your business when it was when it was on the come up? Like what what made you different than everyone else is trying to do this? Uh, when it was just me, it was yeah. bringing donuts to clients. I mean, I was differentiator. I was nice. Mm-hmm. I showed up. I got the work done. If I screwed up, I admitted it. It's honesty and delivering, over delivering, and delivering again, and then being nice at the same time. Treat your people nice. If they're in your office, you do the right thing. And then over time, it became about your team. Does your team have the same mentality? Mm-hmm. They have to be kind. They have to over deliver. They have to care. And that was always what it was. I was I, I hired people that cared. And I think because, especially early days, I was with them. So they knew I was with them and they knew I might've owned the place, but I was there with them. I didn't go home early. I stayed with them. I did everything that they did. And then you, had you close, how did you close you and plus team, close some of the largest enterprise accounts? Cause you eventually became the incumbent. You became the yeah. largest provider. So you're yeah. closing like the Walmarts and the Gatorades. Mm-hmm. I was looking at the list of clients that you worked with. It's insane. The clients were big. Um, it was funny because when you're chasing everybody, it's easy because you're looking ahead. But when you're in the front, you, you don't know what's behind you. So you, it's a different fear. Mm. Before, it's less fearful when you're chasing to win. You, you're chasing with like you're salivating, you're angry, you want to win. And then when you're there, all you're doing is looking behind your shoulder. It's, yeah. it's more stressful because if you lose, then you're whacking clients. I mean, whacking clients, whacking employees. You yeah. don't want to do that. They're team, they're family. They have, yeah, and I, I couldn't handle that. It was stressful. I liked winning. <laughs> I never wanted That's to That's why it's good to exit at the end. <laughs> Eventually, so I, I get to the front now. Time to sell. It was There's no know, more front than that. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think I exited at the right time. The first time I brought equity in, I, I, it was the right time. Yeah. Uh, how was it? How was it the right time? Why? Um, I felt the business was at was at the right time from the e-commerce world. It was allowed to. I left some skin on the you know skin on the table, meat on the bone, whatever you want to yeah. say, for the next group to come in. And I was, and I rode my, you know, I rode half the equity, um, you know, so I felt that was the right time. I got out, I had enough, I was good, I was sad, I was, you know, I was, I was in good shape. Um, then the second time, we were about six months too late. COVID hit, hmm. you know, so and that's what li- that's what life is. You can't, you just can't expect everything to go perfect. So let's let's walk through like all the different, like the first, I guess, exit event where you where you took some money out. I'm going to ignore you while you talk. Hold on. Okay, go for <laughs> it. Again. What's that? So walk, look, look at the picture. Of yeah, yeah. yeah. Hold on. Let me talk. Okay. <laughs> well, walk through, walk through the first exit event. Yeah. Um, and then, cause I want the whole story of first exit event, then what you negotiated partners were like, yeah, yeah. How, how, how deep do you want to go on this? I don't no, know. That's how. fine. So, so I, cause I went through a couple of early on ad companies that tried to acquire me cause yeah. I was growing. I was, you know, at that point I was like a 40 man shop doing, doing a couple million profit a year. I mean, we were doing well. And so you had public companies trying to acquire us and, and say, come in, run our, run our content, whatever. And I went through two of those with one company and I, and I walked both times. Um, first, this first time was just too little money. The second time was the right money. And I just left because I, I just didn't want to, I was never planning on leaving. And I just couldn't see myself working for people who were disrespecting me during the, during the process. I was equally to blame though, because I, I didn't bring in an investment banker into that transaction. I just thought I could do it with a buddy. And I advise anybody, if we're ever going to do a transaction, bring an investment banker in. If you think you're giving them a commission, let them take it because they're going to make more money for you and they're going to get the deal done. And then you hope your attorney doesn't screw up the deal too. hundred percent. So, uh, so that was the, <clears throat> but, but no first time <clears throat> founders ever know how to deal with an acquisition event. Like, no, you, you don't you, know anything until you fail. No, exactly. So you were, you know, you mentioned like, you know, my books weren't a hundred percent. I was trying oh, to figure that shit out. Like, yeah. This is like a slap to the face to anybody who tries mm-hmm. to go through an exit for the first time, well, right? It's funny you say that because the first time, uh, first two times, my books were a mess because I was young. I didn't care. When I finally did the transaction of the- That you walked uh, away from? The, the, the one where I brought private equity in. Okay. 
if I actually ran, if I hired a CFO years earlier, I would have exited for more money. In fact, I may not even sold the business because I would have had more visibility to my business. Mm-hmm. I probably would have been able to run it better. So I was so caught up in controlling everything and the financials made sense to me. It was my business. I could predict everything. I knew to the penny what we were going to make in profit, but guess what? Only I knew it. So the, the, uh, I was that cog in the wheel. And I learned from the failed transactions that I walked away from that I was the cog in the wheel. And I took myself out of that, except on the finance side. I was still intimately involved. And, uh, and I knew in the end, if I bid this on a job, I knew what my profit was going to be. And it just it, it worked. I had a plan and it executed it. But then you bring in private equity and everything changes, right? So, but, but back to your question was, so then I finally, you know, after going through those failed acquisitions, I realized I hit scale and I was growing. And I was like, all right, my next step is to go back home, go back to New York and open up a studio there. And I didn't want to be one of everybody else doing the same thing. And I was used to dealing with clients around the US, not New York. Very different mentality. You know, it's just different. So I approached my competitor and we were probably both around, let's say, 40 million in in revenue each. And we only had $100,000 overlap in clients. So, Hmm. totally different markets. My mind. Yeah. So all this time, I thought we were competitors. We weren't. You weren't. We were going after different clients. I've been looking at my rearview mirror at the wrong people. So I probably could have been happier. But anyway, so I said to him, listen, I'm going to come to New York. We're going to compete against each other. I, I just swung for the fence. I'm like, why don't, just, why don't we just get together? Let's learn about each other. Let's look at your books. Let's look at my books. And we'll see if we can merge. And fast forward a couple of months, they're all good guys. And, uh, and we, we said, all right, let's do this. Let's merge our businesses. And we were going to merge it. So we got together as a handshake. And we we're all that type of people. We literally handshaked. And we didn't Amazing. officially merge until yeah. we closed a private equity transaction. So we consummated at the private action, wow. private equity. So we went a, almost a year being as one This company. is so rare. So you went- I'd never do it again. $40 million yeah. dollar no, business. No, that's stressful as hell. Handshake. No, you should, yeah, you should never, that's not recommended. <laughs> Don't do it anybody. Do it. I promise. You got lucky. Not because it was bad, you get screwed. I've gotten screwed more times in my life, but I, apparently- On this I, one, you guys are still this friends? This one, yeah, I'm friends with them. Yeah, it was, it was complicated because our businesses were around the same size ballpark. Um, they had sexier clients than me, um, but I think, you know, you were, you were more I think we were more, I think- EBITDA wise, probably because they were in New York, they were headed higher markets. Yeah. It was just different. And, and it was interesting. And I loved there. We were very different. I locked people into contracts. My goal was to get into a three-year deal. And what I would do is after a year and a half, negotiate another three-year deal. They had a different mentality, no contract. They said, we don't care. You don't like us. We don't like you. We could fire each other. And they ran their business that way. Wow. And it worked for them. It just wasn't how I did it. So when we got together, we did that, but it was five partners and me. So they had five at me. So let's just say we were 50-50, five guys on an exit split the same money I got. Yeah. So it definitely created a certain level of, uh, I'll say, any word I come up with isn't going to be right. Discomfort. How's yeah. that? So, and, and, and rightfully so, I understood. But it was right for them to do the deal and it was right for me to do the deal. So we rolled at half the equity and, and kept the business going. And we brought private equity in and they brought the different CEOs in and and very often you have these dreams and you have a vision, but you bring private equity. They didn't in. want to have their CEO running it because I know you didn't want to run it. I didn't want to run it. I just wanted to be strat. I'm a strategy guy. I was happy to deal with sales and strategy, but to, the burden of having that many employees and the risk and all of that stuff on my mind every day, I would always have it in my mind, but I, I knew what I was good at. And I was good at creative and strategy. And that's where I should be. Yeah, I was doing creative strategy for my business, but I would be flying to different clients, board meetings constantly, and I would be the strategy guy. And I would, and I still do this today. I shake the tree beyond where it needs to be shake, shooken, 
That's a word, shaken, shaked. So shaken, 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 shaken. I don't know what it is. We're all cut off. I'm Israeli. Don't look I think for it's me. Just don't drink I think it's just You shook. have an excuse. I don't. It's just shook. Yeah, yeah shook. Yeah. So I shook the tree. No, I shake the tree. Anyway, I shake it more than it needs to be. So the people who are on your team or on a client just ele- just elevate their thought a little bit, knowing that I'm whacked. Yeah. So I'll go well beyond knowingly. And I hope they never accept what I'm suggesting they do just to get them somewhere better. <laughs> yeah. So, and there are times where I don't do it's that. It's kind of like Elon Musk, right? If you didn't. If you didn't see the missile blow up on me there, that means you didn't try hard enough. You didn't push it hard <laughs> enough. That's pretty. It is kind of, I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, I always said go big or go home, right? Yeah. I mean, and you have to think big. You have to, you know, again, my career got started because I was by accidentally selected for something. Mm-hmm. So I always looked at it that way. You got to take chances. And that's, and that's what I always did. We're like shaking hands and doing a merger. Um, so we did that and they brought a bunch of CEOs in over the time frame. And like most private equity transactions happen sooner or later, they tell the CEO to leave. And uh, <laughs> I, when I first met Joe- Why are you go, looking at me? So I first <laughs> met, when I first met you, I'm like, Joe, what are you doing? He was like, well, I'm still working with the company. I'm like, didn't you sell? Well, Brad, I rolled a lot, whatever, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, dude, you're not going to last. He's like, yes, I am. I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> he was right about it. I think I told you like in an hour. Yeah. I met you. Hi, Joe, your boxy charm. You're not staying. Yeah. So, but- uh, and it, it, it's, it's, <clears> it's, funny. It's, it's funny that you mentioned that because now you just brought back that memory. Sorry. It, it took me about a couple of weeks. <laughs> After you said that, when I saw the meetings that I had to go through, I said, oh, no, that's not for me. No, 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 yeah. no. It's just because you know what it is? When you build something from scratch, it's it's who you are. It's in your DNA. Yeah. And for me, I love building stuff. I just do. And I love the people. I love, you're, you know, you're in it together. And I also love the fact that you can, when you're the CEO, you have the ability to do what you want. Okay. And what I mean by that is you can take chances. And mm-hmm. the chances sometimes you can't put on a spreadsheet. You can't mm-hmm. put that chance in a presentation. But you know it's right. Mm-hmm. And when it's private equity, you can't do that. I had, when we brought the private equity in, I had a plan. I knew exactly what we needed to do. Would it have worked in the end? I don't know. I think it would have. And, and I said, let's just follow this plan. But no matter who comes in your business, they buy you for what you are, but they don't plan on running you for what you are. Yeah, they don't know who you That's really are. Which is interesting. I was, I was, I'm curious if when you do, I'm actually curious about this whole merger situation because I've never actually seen one done successfully with somebody that mm-hmm. I know. So I'm curious about not just acquisition, like 50-50 coming in. How do you merge the cultures, the business practices? You have two different, you know, ideal customer profiles that you're going after. So that's it was hard. point one. Second point is I'm also curious about what's the private equity playbook that actually implants a successful CEO into a business that they're not emotionally involved in. Well, I think because <clears throat> I've seen it fail more often than I respect, not. and I, I really do. I respect the guys who came in and, and did the investments with us, and I'm thankful, right? Um, and I'm not just saying that I am. It's not easy. And coming into a creative business, it's not easy. So I think when you, if you're private equity, you come into a creative shop, you're not going to get it because it's two different ways of thinking. You're either thinking by spreadsheets or you're thinking by creative artists. And then the spreadsheets are part of that. But you can't always make the decision, like I said, that's based on Do you think that's the way? I mean, I think that's traditionally how we would think, right? Because you would think that, okay, you have spreadsheets and processes. And then you have the creative. But I think the third part is just simply results. Listen, revenue fixes everything. Yeah. <laughs> if you hit, right. if you don't so lose a client and your numbers are ha- happy, they're going to stay where they are. They're not going to exactly. lie. Just, yeah, but the product's going to be watered down if you're, if you're leading by no, spreadsheets. No, no, no. But, but if, you, if you go, I, th- I feel like when someone goes and takes over, the challenge starts where they, they, they focus on, on process, not results. And that's when you start having 
too many meetings that are unnecessary. You, mm-hmm. Everything is equally mm-hmm. important instead of actually focus on what's really important. So, and then you don't get the results. <clears throat> and that's ah. where you start arguing. And you, it, like, it's hard to see the trees with all the forest because they're going fo- to find that, well, that idea wasn't good. No, no, no. It's the way that our life is right now when we have to be on seven hours, eight hours, 14 hours corporate meetings where we didn't have that before. And then nothing gets executed right. I think there's a little bit of that true, truthfully everywhere. And I, but I think, think about this, like, let's talk about like, uh, how, where people came from, right? I, I was creative, not a very great creative. I was better at business, but I was still creative. Um, and now it's funny as I'm good at creative. I wasn't as good before I was. Uh, but anyway, and then you have people who come from prestigious colleges that are great into all the, all the business and science of business and all that stuff. They're not entrepreneurs. And I hate the word entrepreneur because everybody says they are one. And often they always talk about, oh, I had five businesses. I'm like, all right, but how many of them are still in business and did you sell any? Yeah. If you didn't sell any of them and you're not in business anymore, you're not really an entrepreneur. You just start a lot of shit. So, <laughs> so, <clears throat> so I don't like the word entrepreneur. But anyway, yeah. but if I'm going to say I'm one, that's who I am. It's in my DNA yeah. to think that way. And it's in their DNA at a private equity to look at spreadsheets and think the long game. And I remember one time they said, Brad, it's a marathon. Why, why are you in such a rush? A business is a marathon. And I, I'll never forget saying this. I go, a marathon, yes, it's 26 and whatever miles, point whatever. Um, um, but there's sprints throughout it, just like a bike race. There's sprints. If you miss that one sprint, you're never going to yeah. win the marathon Yeah, because you lost that sprint. So I look at business. It is a long game. Back then, I didn't see it as a long game. It was, it was life or death every day. Yeah. But now I look at it as a long game. But you also have to be ahead of it. And, you, and as an entrepreneur, sometimes you're too far ahead. I was too far ahead a few times on investing in, in, in software way too early, designing it certain things way too early. I was, and I've done that. And, and, and you see, you learn from that. And I think you have to learn from your mistakes. So I think I respect the value of what a private equity person would come into. But if I was to go down that path again, now I'm more knowledgeable, I'm more mature. I would choose them differently or be upfront with them with what the business is like and being controlling more. But because I was doing a simultaneous merger with yeah. five partners, I just wanted to get a deal across the table. And I thought they were good guys and they are good guys. It just, in the end, wasn't a right mindset. But that's the issue because that's usually the case. So by the time private equity comes in, the entrepreneur, the founder is like, I just need to get this deal done. Like, there's a reason why you're shopping the deal around. Like, there's a process. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, now that I've been through it on both sides, because yeah. I've also been on the acquiring side, you go through the valuation, you get it right. Yeah. Then they send you the paperwork, you devalue it a little bit. Then you see it, you ask them for their health insurance. You realize they're not providing enough health insurance, whatever. You devalue it again. Then you realize they're not putting enough in 401k, you devalue it again. You just start beating them down, right? And it's true. It's those things they should have been doing, but you're putting a multiple on that. So whatever you, what do you, if anybody who ever looks to sell a business, whatever you, what do you, your LOI looks like, the odds of you finishing a deal at that LOI are zero. That's why it's an LOI. It's not binding. It's intent. Mm-hmm. So I think that's that's the important thing to think about. Yeah. Well, the, the <coughs> philosophy that I heard years before I sold my company, and I had two exits, right? Because I had the first and then the second. So every time I talk about something, it can refer to uh, yeah. my first partners as well equally. Um, Oops. So it's like the idea was to sell when you don't have to sell because yeah. you need to go and be comfortable walking away. So the number you got is the number <clears> because <throat> in both cases, I get the number that I had on my LY because every time I was willing to walk away. And I figured the one of the times when I negotiated, I remember that, you know, the numbers every time were like crazy numbers for me. Mm-hmm. 
first time and second time, both of them are life-changing events. And then I sold the other company that I have. So I've been through, yeah. actually I've been through three. Okay. I want to say I've been through three exits, but um, the idea is that if you're not willing to walk away, you're going to get squeezed. Oh, they're going to hear it absolutely. on the conversation. You need to go and tell yourself, if I am not selling, this is my plan B and you got to get fucking excited. Over I agree with you. Plan. But this is where the handshake with the merger before a deal didn't work. Oh. Because if oh. I walked away, I was already in bed oh. and they may not have wanted to do a deal again. Mm. So at that point, I was like, just get a deal done. I don't care. Mm. Yeah. You know? And then when COVID came. How much were you shaved like percentage wise? It was less about, it was a little bit about the dollars up front. Let's say, let's say 20% up front, but then they put a liquidation pref on the back end. Mm. So, which in my mind, I was like, ah, who cares? You know, we're going to- Because you didn't care. You're, you're like, I'm selling 50% for I didn't amount. care. I knew I was set anyway. And I didn't want to go through it already. I knew it was already life-changing and I was fine. And I truly believed uh, that I was going to be involved until I died. And I believed that the uh, business was going to do what it was going to do. And, and I didn't care. So if I lost a little bit on the back end, I didn't care because I knew I was making a better s- decision for my family yeah. uh, and for myself, knowing that I could put that behind me. You know, I've been reinvesting in the business. I was, yeah. was debt free. I was just reinvesting in the business. So I finally, all right, I'm good. I'm set. I can walk away. See, I need to understand something because I come from an operator side like everybody mm-hmm. here. And now I'm going in on the investment side and looking at private equity deals and very small and looking at some venture capital deals and angel mm-hmm. investment. And I don't, looking at these deals, I still don't understand why I'd ever remove a CEO that I bet on. And it doesn't make sense to me, but this seems to be a common theme. And I'm trying to wrap my head around why they do that. I think very rarely does a CEO make a founder. Okay. So it's different. If you're coming to a company as a CEO and it's not your business from the start, I can see them being there forever because they're already a little more, I'll say, corporate savvy. Mm. Whereas if you're the founder, you're not. You're just used to doing it yourself. Yeah. And that's going to always have a clash with private equity. Um, very rarely, I think anybody can continue onward. And I still, I've seen that since I've left my business. I see it very differently now. So now I'm like, they're, I'm like that founder is never going to do that. You know, I know yeah. it. So I see it now from the other side. Yeah. So I know I was a little emotional back when too. I was like, because I was so high strung and I knew what I needed to do. I knew if I had this, the merger and the private equity money, I can go buy these four companies, do a couple things, package it up and sell it. And, and they would have made 5X. And I, I actually did the math. I had the whole plan. I said, they could 5X their money in three years, right? Great, great win. Um, and that was my plan. And, but three became four, four became five, and then COVID came. So, but, and I don't know if they went my path, maybe it would have worked. I still think it would have, but, um, but maybe it wouldn't have. I don't know. So did I exit and do well? Yeah. Did COVID kill us, COVID kill us on the second exit? There was an upside. That you, you lost an upside. I lost a big, lot of upside. Yeah, I got lost. upside on the second sale. But and it hurts you after. It hurts you because after <clears> you get <throat> the money, that's it. It is it. And now, okay, I could have had that. And now. What's that. funny is. What's funny is that it was early COVID. So I was happy just to be done because I was worried about risk because they were doing cash calls because suddenly product wasn't coming from Asia. You know, you just yeah. had issues. And I was like, all right, let's just be done. And then after a year of lockdown and whatever and everything else, now I'm happier than ever because it gave me a chance to sit at home for a year or so and decompress because I wasn't really allowed to work. You know, mm-hmm. so it was a, in the end, I wish I had that extra money in the account. But at the same time, I'm actually, I think, a better person today because of the situations that came from, I learned, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm more mature about it now, but I might just tell myself that so I can sleep better at night also. <laughs> but, uh, you know, in the end, a lot of people got hurt who I wished did better or did anything. I feel we are yeah. two therapists right now for Brad. I, I, I feel that for sure. We need to have a couch. No, trust me. I, I, to be able to talk about shit like this and be honest about it, it's, it's, it's important to understand. You well, know because I mean? look at it, <laughs> but notice, notice this. Okay. Yeah. 
people that get stupid amount of cash can live forever lavish lifestyle still have problems we get anxiety after you get the money you get regrets that it wasn't exactly the same way there are ego issues after you sit around the table with another person to take over you like, and you, you don't really realize it when you have it before like but why would you get angry you get all that cash once you get there it's part of your image it's part of who you are it's part of how people looked at you and now all that is gone and that has a value of currency of its own. It's like, what do you do with that? Well, it's funny because I, I know people who sold their businesses and they've been worried that they were a one-trick pony. And mm. I'm like, well, do you need to be a two-trick pony? You know what I mean? <laughs> Why does it have to be a pony? You know, so, and I... When but I, don't you see the value for it? It's funny because... you have something... I, I do. I see it a little differently because... Uh, part of me is happy just to chill with my family now. You know, yeah. I, at a time, I was on the road for years. I, and even when I was home, I was always there. But mentally, I wasn't always there. Mm-hmm. So, I've gotten to uh, you know, have a great time with my children, my wife, and, and, and be a better person from that. But at the same time, my identity used to be Brad... The guy who had this business and was, a, was I thought, a great person. No, a good person that, that everybody knew was always going to be there for them and whatever. That was Brad. He was the business guy. And then it was also Brad, the guy who was the parent of these kids and mm-hmm. husband, whatever. And suddenly that business is gone. And then you're like, oh, now I'm Brad the dad. It's just the dad. And I was totally cool with that too. And then eventually you realize, all right, well, I'm pretty young. What am I going to do the rest of my life? And and it, it's in you. If if there are people, I, and I wish it was like this way, who are happy, just getting up and doing almost as little as possible that day. That's not me. I need to be working. So, so it was really difficult for me to get how much, there. How much do you miss to be the guy with the ego in the room? I still feel like I am that way. Well, so, I mean, think about um, it. You're on a big well, company. Well, it's funny. I would do it differently. I had a lot of emotion and stress. Uh-huh. So you look back and you say, what can you do? And I think I wouldn't change anything because I don't know if we would have gotten anywhere if I didn't have that, if I wasn't that high high stress level or whatever. I, couldn't, I don't know if I could have pushed the business yeah. to where it would have been. Looking at it now, I think, unfortunately, sometimes ignorance is bliss, mm-hmm. right? So I was younger, I was naive, I was ignorant. I just had one goal in mind, and that was to win at all costs and get there and kumbaya, let's do it together. And now I'll be thinking a little differently. So yeah. I don't know if I would do it the same, but probably know I'd do it better. I just, just don't know. And then like back to you said, luck. I mean, I don't know if the luck would be on my side this time, um, but I can tell you moving forward, everything I get involved in, I look differently. I look at different. I, I want us to talk about that. So... <clears throat> I don't know, a couple of months ago, six, seven months ago, you told me that you have a new project. So you were able to have the city commissioning for you 10 acres to go ahead and build mm-hmm. Pickable. And I saw the plants. It looks amazing. It, it's it's something that I, I mean, as soon as I said it, I'll put money in right away, right? Just... How did you I come didn't up ask you either. I, you didn't even didn't ask, ask you. Yeah. Just show me what yeah. it is. And you know that when you show, you someone is going to come. And like, yeah. What else do you do with your cash? I have to park it somewhere. It's like, yeah. let's do it. So how did you come up with that? So way back, um, you know, COVID happened, right? So we all had nothing to do. So I started playing pickleball with my son and some friends. And my father actually played it for 15 years. And I made fun of him for the last 12. I didn't know it was that old. For 12, for, oh, it's been 60, 1960 something. I didn't something. know that. What? <laughs> yeah, it's been around forever, man. It's just, it's a silly name. Most people don't play it. But it's grown and grown and grown and grown. So now, if, you know, now it's on CBS. It's on, you everywhere. Know, it's everywhere. Uh, but about two years ago, I was looking for land. I was like, all right, this would be a great thing. I'll put a couple of courts in. I'll put a dome over, you know, those inflatable domes. And I'll, I'll just bank the land for 10, 15 years and make a pickleball, be a place to, to you know, to build, make it some, because the community is so good. People who play pickleball, I play pickleball with people you never would have met in my life. It, it's people who blow fire at like the Maikai, you know, yeah. as a great 
great guy. I, next to a, like a reverend from one of the sports teams, next to another CEO of another company. You're, you don't know who anybody is. That's amazing. You're all just the same on a court playing with a pickleball. It was a That's plastic great. ball and a paddle. So I met friends. You know, I ran a business for so many years. I didn't have friends. I was friendly with everybody, but I didn't have friends. So, so you realize sitting at home every day, you got nothing to do. You have no business to run. You had no friends, especially during lockdown. And you know, my son only wants to see me so much. My daughter half the time is my son and my wife was just over me. So, so anyway, so I'm looking for land and I just, you couldn't find it. It was in places I didn't want to go. Right. And I was trying to find a business. I was looking to open on Las Olas here, a, uh, like a high end premium, uh, tourist store. Does not exist around here. And but then I found out the rent was like 85 plus cam. I was like, still ain't paying hundred dollars a foot for this. So I said, forget that. But uh so the pickleball, eventually I'm like, this isn't gonna work. So I there's a guy in the court, we call him the pickleball mayor, because he's like Mr. Pickleball, he deals with the city. And I said, let's 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 do something together. So we hired consultants and we approached the city, and it's been almost two years. So 18 months in theory since the paperwork. And, uh, and we finally got approval. Just, I've never dealt with government. I never dealt with the government process. I respect it. I understand it now. I didn't understand it before. And we got lucky. We got there. We got how, do you, how do you lobby the government? You have attorneys. And yeah. And what makes them change their mind on something? It wasn't necessarily about changing the mind. It's about finding the, you know, they have to understand the reason behind things like that, right? So again, I'm not a developer. Some people say, oh, the developer's I'll develop it. I'm just a guy who lives on the street and wants to do something good. Yeah. So yeah, it's trust, right? If if you're a developer and you want to build a 50-story building, that's one thing. If you're a guy who wants to build pickleball, and I gotta tell you, two years ago, you weren't talking about pickleball. People no. weren't talking about it. So if the last so, two years it blew up. No, blew up in like the last year. So my brother would make fun of me constantly about it. And now he texts me every day photos of people in New York City yeah. playing pickleball or Hoboken. Yeah. And the the reality is two years ago the commissioners didn't know, didn't, didn't, didn't see why they needed it. So in the end, attorneys there, you hire attorneys for the right reasons, you know, and, and they know they know how, how to handle situations. And I think in the end, it's about convincing five people that it's a good idea. And then and then from there, you have to, there's a whole long process that I still don't understand at all. And I believe you just do the right thing. And that's, I kept saying, let's do the right thing. Let's, this is going to be something for the community. So it's there's 42 courts, it. right? It's 42 pickleball courts. Yeah. Plus a restaurant and a bunch of other things on a lake. And we're, we're trying to make a place where, listen, like, like, there's so much hate out there, right? Mm-hmm. There just is. Imagine if you go to a place where you just want to have fun and hang out and you don't care who you're with. So you can do that playing pickleball. And then we're making this whole lakeside. We're, re, we're redesigning or I'll say revitalizing this lakefront. There's a lake in Fort Lauderdale that nobody knows about. And we're going to redo the beach, make the lake swimmable. And is it saltwater lake? Or? Freshwater. Freshwater. So you can swallow it. If you can't swim, it's, it's not good. <laughs> so... But the, uh, so we're revitalizing this and it's going to be a place where I actually see it. Locals and tourists will come. You can be yourself, hang out, have fun. So it just took a long time. I mean, it takes time. Government takes a long time, but we were very fortunate to get the land, you know, and, you know, we're very fortunate to get the land to be able to do this. And yeah, we're paying, we got a very fair rate for the year, for yearly rate. And then we're, we have a not-for-profit and charity side that we're actually going to be raising money for the city and the parks. We're also renovating some properties. We're, we're giving uh, <clears throat> training to the teachers and all the schools in Fort Lauderdale. We're giving them equipment. We're doing we're every the year. The whole initiative. Every whole thing. Year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it's not like, again, I said it earlier with the business. If you, if you do the right thing, the money should come. So from my my feeling here is if we can make a nice place where the community can go, they're going to stay and eat and drink. They're going to play pickleball. They're going to come meet friends. I love, I love destinations. I think I love destinations in, in I mean, serious? so Fort Lauderdale is kind of like a secondary market. It's not the primary market oh, yeah. like Miami, but Miami doesn't, it's not known for pickleball. So anyone that's going to look pickleball is going to start coming around. And the reason I like it is because if you own property over here and actually, 
I, I mean, I live in Fort Lauderdale, right? So it's just every time there's a new destination that Miami doesn't have, I figure it's great because it's going to be that much yeah. more reasons for people to consider Fort Lauderdale because they re- like hover over it. Like Palm Beach had a Goldman Sachs office. Miami had, but not in Fort Lauderdale. Yeah. Like you want your properties to appreciate and yeah. you want the place to be better and you want the place. So every time I hear a new destination, I said, that's that's awesome. And that's yeah. one of the reasons also I told you. I'll, I'll okay, so you've never done like uh, restaurants, brick and mortar, anything before? So I, I grew up in the old days when you had arcades, right? Mm. And my family ran arcades and outdoor amusement parks for this company. And so I grew up in that space. So uh, did I, I just learned by being there. I yeah. was the guy who, who fixed the video games, who I, they used to send me to this one location in Long Island to uh, to figure out in the carnies, all the guys that were doing the games, who was stealing. So I, I bring a girlfriend, I go get a cash, I go out there, I play all the games, I go home and go, those three people stole. So, and they were doing it in this weird ways that normal people wouldn't see. So I learned a lot about business, about real people in life, about that entertainment world and all that stuff, just by being there every day. Um, and then after that, it's just understanding people. As far as food and beverage goes, uh, you know, all my studios had bars, you know, and we had catering every day. And some of it was in-house. We had a catering side in New York, but but that's not my that's not my world. So I learned you hire good people. So you hire the right people, you hire the right consultants, and you build an, you build a place where people want to work. You're not going to always be perfect, but if you do the right thing, you're going to the right people. So that's that's how we're looking at. It. We have the right consultants, the right you know the right people who are going to manage. And fortunately, a lot of good people play pickleball. A lot of good people who run restaurants play pickleball. They want to come work for us. So it's it's uh, pretty. I know you're looking at me laughing like, what the hell is going I'm on? I'm just fascinated. I think it's yeah. awesome. I it's, mean. I read something today that yeah. there was a company using this in their marketing material saying that pickleball can bring the world together. And I was like, <laughs> but, but it's kind of true. It is kind of true. You know, like if yeah. you shut up and just do your thing. It's a, it's a plastic ball and a paddle. Go hit it and have fun. Right. So this, okay. So this is what you, this is like your main focus right now, like outside of real it's full estate. Time. Yeah. I'm full time right now getting off. Yeah. Just getting through the city now. It's getting through design, uh, building permits, construction, all that stuff. The business model, we have a pro shop. You have it. I'm basically, this is a perfect ADD business. I'm building a restaurant, a, a sports club, a fitness center, and a pro shop. So I have four businesses starting at one. Yeah. So no strip club. Strip club. That's here, I thought. Yeah. That here? <laughs> uh, funny story is my mother used to be a den mother at a strip club. Oh, what? A den mother? A Someone den. has to run oh, really? the girls at a strip club. Okay. It forever ruins strip clubs for you. That would ruin strip it clubs. Ruins it. That when they're coming to your house on Thanksgiving, I swear, and the girl's like, your mom is my mom. I'm like, no, oh. my mom's my mom. She's your stripper mom. That's awesome. Yeah. So, okay. So you had, okay. You have the exit event. Now you have some spare time. This is what you're working on now. Yeah. Where else do you put money? What, what's your, you know, is it put, real estate? Is I've it? been putting my time places also. So okay. uh, you're talking about uh, advising and mentoring. And- yeah. So I'll sit on some boards, I'll invest in some companies, uh, you know, but I have to like the CEO. I have to like the people and I have yeah. to like the product. Yeah. And because even if I lose over time, I still want to enjoy the time I'm doing it. Right. And, and, and I'm putting enough in now where I don't mind losing it. Right. So it's, you have, I'm not going to throw it all in because I know what I need to live the rest of my life and not be stupid. Um, so, um, so you just choose the right projects. And now I'm showing stuff every day. You know, once you hit once you hit it, you can smell it too. When people text you out of nowhere, you're yeah. like, they're gonna be nice for two or three texts, and then they're gonna ask for the money. You know, yeah. so that's why I was not gonna ask you. So, uh, <laughs> but anyway, so I, you can smell it. So I've seen it so many times. And I'm like, they're good people, but they don't know how to run a business, or especially if they're just starting, they've never run one before. And I'm like, well, like, the fact is, I've never run a restaurant, but I know how to hire people that could. Yeah. But if you never owned anything, 
But you got, I know how stupid I was. So, and then you have great products, great projects, but you just don't see that they're ever going to get there. Right. So you see reasons not to, I see more reasons not to invest. Uh, you know, the best deal you ever do is the one you don't do. So, right? so whatever, whatever you're comfortable saying, but like, what have you invested in that's won? What have you invested in that hasn't won? That's been your biggest loss. It wasn't a big dollar one, but I, I started this brand two years ago after the election um, instead of Make America Great Again, I started Maca, Make America Kind Again. So I started a website, Maca.com, MacaStore.com. And it was all just, like that. it was tongue in cheek. Yeah. You know, it wasn't, nothing was nasty. It was just be kind, don't be yeah. stupid, whatever. Yeah. And I think I sold a couple of shirts to a few friends. You get cease and desist or something? No, not at all. Uh-huh. Actually, I still have the URL. Anybody wants to buy okay. it, it's available. I own all these other ones around it too. So, and I still think Maca works, you know? But uh, the hate sells more than love, right? So yeah, whatever. Man. And I wasn't, I wasn't a tree hugger on it. I wasn't being crazy or anything like that. You know what I mean? I was just yeah. being like, let's have some fun with it. So that was, you know. But I got to tell you, that was uh, that kept me busy. <laughs> you know, it was COVID time. It kept me busy for a couple of months. I literally designed the shirts. I built the website and Shopify myself. I was started doing the marketing. Again, how many? Uh, so when you, how many styles did you have? <laughs> Wait, I was bored. So I wasn't making hundreds. So I just kept making more. And my goal was to figure out quickly what was working and not, and then oh. just whack it down to a low amount. Um, and I still have the website. We'll see how, you know, how it goes. You um, have a bunch of shirts now? I took it all. No, you know what I was doing was, so I was testing it. I was doing fulfill on demand. So I just had the guys, they print on demand and ship yeah. it for you. And it, it was really nice. They did a simple job. It doesn't look as good, but it's good enough. So, okay. uh, so I was doing that, just test it out. And also it gave me a chance because in the past, I don't know about you, you had a team of people. I was used to having a team of people. I would go in a room like this, bring in eight people. I'd go on a whiteboard, write some crap up. I come didn't back have in two days. any team. It, at first, I had one person. Oh, eventually, two. before you were done. Yeah. When you were done with the business, you had a team. Yeah, it depends for what, but yeah. I'm yeah, a- so I my creatives. I'd bring in my creatives. I'd throw some crazy ideas yeah. out. I'd give them the lead. I'd come back the next day. It would look beautiful, right? Yeah. Now, suddenly, I'm home by myself. I got nothing All to do. Everything is you. And I got no, I got no pull anymore because I'm not hiring anybody. So next thing you know, I'm like, all right, I'll learn how to do this. So it was good to do that. So that wasn't a big fail. Get me busy. My yeah. wife thought I spent like hundreds of thousands of dollars on it. <laughs> and she's like, what do you mean? You spent so much money. I'm like, actually, I spent like six grand on it, you know, oh. I said, but it was probably about, okay, yeah. probably about 5 million of my time. Yeah. So, and then um, I've invested, there's a, there's a, uh, there's brands that I've, I've invested or taken, you know, consulting roles. There's one called Johnny O, which is a men's apparel. They have a little uh, guy holding a surfboard. And uh, there's a, a good friend of mine. He's on the marketing tech side and I'm the creative side. So we came in, we modified, you know, we made updates to their brand, website, technology, you know, looking at an acquisition and all that stuff. And I think they've four or five X their revenue since wow. we got involved. So uh, they did great brand. I got to give them credit. And I think in the end, we just gave it a little... Sometimes you bring someone from the outside, they give it a little push. Yeah. And then you're a marketer. Where it be. Yeah. yeah. And then and then my partner on the tech side, it's interesting. Creatives on the creative side, which is what I do, you can swoop in and swoop out. The marketing tech, they're there forever. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Because it never changes. And then creative, you kind of refresh. Um, so I think that that worked out really well. I've actually taken some off. What, what do you mean when you say tech? What do you what do you mean tech? And what what side what, what exactly were they doing in marketing? Tech marketing. Take? Tech. Tech, like technology. technology. Oh, the technology. tech. Oh, so every I mean, everything from the whole back end to the website to oh. dealing with the, uh, the customer analysis stuff to you know all the tools you put in place. To actually, know who's shopping, who's doing what. What's that? Social media. Oh, of course, all of that. Yeah. Was it under tech or was it under creative? That's interesting you say that because it's a mix of both. And when okay. you when you talk, and it's funny as my friend Kurt, he sold. He had a digital tech agency and he sold it years ago to um, I think Publicis, one of those big firms. And we talk about it that if we just did what we do together and we started a business again, we 
kill it because I respect the tech. He respects the creative. And when you do it together, you get, like, you're not just thinking about your cost acquisition because normally they, people just trust the Facebook algorithm. Yeah, oh, it works. Well, can you make it better? Right? Can we dial in a little bit more? Can mm. we get the creative more? Can we, can we understand like what's your cost acquisition? Fine. Is there a return rate on that? Are you looking at your second purchase? What's the lifetime value of all of them? You start looking at it and understand it. So just because you're a low cost acquisition, you might actually be getting more revenue from a higher cost acquisition, a better customer. Yeah. And all too often, the agencies are just looking a certain way because they can just check the boxes. They have yeah. a plan, they do it, and they move forward. And I respect that it's fine. But if you're gonna, if you're gonna, if I let's say you do you spend a dollar and you make a hundred, I'm still gonna expect you to make two hundred the next time, and that's just to get better. Once you put on autopilot, then that's no fun anymore. Um, you have to keep keep being different. So the tech side is, you know, who's who's hitting the site? What are you doing on there? How many pages are they going in there? What are they looking at? Can you hit them with a mailer because you're getting that information through the way? You know, what what products are they looking for? You know, if you sell them if you sell them shoes, they're gonna is the purchase gonna be higher? Then you start looking at LTV, you start all these things, and then suddenly you can you can spend. Did you guys have there. a social media department? Did we at my old company? No, no. The one you oh those those guys yeah yeah they had teams but they actually mix of in house and agency okay so I and I believe that I I'll what did you do with the, with yours for social and marketing Our, my business was different the social you had was more just to show the clients that you're doing it it wasn't to win clients mm. so we didn't win business from from buying anything it was more B two B it's all B two B relationships all outbound sales relationships yeah. Yeah, you go to like, you go to this event, let's say in Scottsdale, where you meet 16 clients, yeah. and then it takes two years and you get a big whale. And then you'll just go out for dinner one night, meet someone in three minutes, and you land the same whale. Yeah. So you just have to be doing all of that. Uh, but enough, back to the conversation, another business was Zendu. It's an online bookkeeping and accounting you technology company. You so, and you're on their board. So, yeah, and they're killing it. So, um, yeah, Lil Zendu. Zendu. X E N D O O. If you need bookkeeping, like there automa you go. Automation for <laughs> that's like Intuit or something like that. Well, you have Intuit. Um, basically, Zendu built technology in the back end that allows the bookkeeping and accounting teams to be more efficient. Yeah. So they actually get a lot more work done, and therefore they have a lot more time to be available. So, so question: You're you're a non-technical individual. You're not a developer. Mm -hmm. You're technical enough. But you're not like a developer engineer. So when you invest in Zendu, for example, how do you make sure that you're not gonna get screwed over. Well, I did have tech in my company. I had software and I screwed myself. So, <laughs> so I aqua hired, I aqua hired someone, built a de department around it and I saw how to, how to flush money out so fast. <laughs> yeah. So when I brought investors on, I think I had like $6 million of technical debt, you know, we just, which means if you don't know, you have $6 million of manpower labor to yeah. fix what you've created your problems wow. with. So, so I get it. So with Zendu, I was like, all right, let's not reinvent anything. You know, if it exists, don't do it. So with Zendu, there's no need to create a new GL. Let's, you have QuickBooks you have, and yeah. Zero. let them do it. It's what you can add to it that makes you better. So you can, in the end, if you're a small business owner, you need help. You're on your own island. You don't know anybody. Yeah. I was. So if you can call someone and not be charged like a gazillion dollars, like you normally already call your CPA, and they know they can just help you for a small business. Yeah. You, how good does it feel if you get a letter from the IRS, you take a picture in your phone and it's solved the next day? That's Whereas normally you're calling yeah. your CPA yeah. 86 times and they ignore you. So so that's the type of stuff. reason why I invested was, was Lillian's amazing. I thought the product was good and, and I felt it was a way to help small business people. And when you look at a founder, what makes Lillian, like, what makes Lillian an amazing founder? She makes me seem like I'm bored boring she's so more type a than me she's crazy yeah um she knows everything when i first met her she came into my studio once an eo group they asked me if they can speak if i can speak to them I'm like all right cool i didn't care so they came and talked and we were sitting at a table and everybody introduced themselves and lillian went into what she was building at zendu and i said right there i said 
Either she's the smartest person I've ever met and knows her numbers, or she's the biggest bullshit artist. But either way, I like her. So, <clears throat> so she actually knew her numbers, you know. Good, good. So she could bullshit too. But yeah, she's you know. very passionate about that, and it's. Uh, I think someone told her it's an ama- it's an amazing bo- it's the most boring business that makes yes. a lot of money. Something that they phrased it, it was better. Jason Calacanis. He said, "This is the most boring business, and you're going to print money." Yes. You said that about Zendu? Yeah. yeah, because it's oh, a I didn't know that Jason Calacanis was in this. Yeah, his the launch uh, launch incubator. They're actually yeah. one of the investors in it. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. I launch, just right? I, I just joined his launch incubator. Oh, did you really? That's yeah. funny. Yeah, he's yeah. a good guy. Um, small world. Yeah. Um, do you look at the same like when you? I'm curious now. When you look at founders, what do you look for? I mean, I, I want to know that the founder is a marketer because if if you tell me that what's the most important role in a company today, I feel it's. I mean, it's specifically, but even for B two B. You got to be a marketer. I can't just get all engineer, focus on the product, because if you're all engineer and you zero marketing, yeah. marketing doesn't just mean that you can kind of like create a storefront in the most busiest place for free, kind of like location, location, location back then, but today it's marketing. Not because you can only create awareness better, faster and cheaper, or mm. maybe you know the, the UI, you can create a better UI than the competition that would have a better stickiness. It's, it's also because you'll understand the consumer and you can create a much better product market fit. If you're just an engineer and you don't know anything about marketing, you're going to be detached from the consumer and you're going to optimize something that shouldn't exist. Yeah. And you love your product too much. Yeah. You, you're, you're blinded by it. Yeah. Right. Yes. And I think marketing is, it's, it's again, because I'm a marketer, I'm originally a photographer, so I'm visual. Right. But I look at, I'm also, uh, people used to say I was uh, a, uh, really a CPA in a photographer's uh, skin because I actually looked at the data, right? Yeah. And a marketer, if to be a that's good marketer. That's the most market- powerful kind of <clears throat> yeah. operator though, like a creative marketing plus, you know, the numbers. Oh, that's, you know your numbers, yeah. yeah. You, should just let a C- you should just let your CFO eventually do their job <laughs> and make more money. But it's good if you get both of them because you can run faster without going back and looking at this. If you can run both of them simultaneously, yeah. you but, can just move. But, but Joe, I, I think you're like me in this case. There are times where you're thinking so far ahead that it's hard to communicate it with people. And that was always a problem I had, right? So a marketer in your own company, like you walked in the room, people listened to you, right? But mm-hmm. did you find often that they weren't necessarily on the same page with you because you've been thinking about it all night, all day? And it depends which ones. It, it depends which ones. If uh, there were, I found that the younger ones, I mean, it it's just depends. If you are a marketer that's good, that I decided, yeah, okay, man. that's a rock star. As soon as they start talking, oh, I got it. And then they're already building up yeah, on that, yeah. like this. And you just, everyone's wired different. Yeah. yeah. You have to hire the people that make you stronger. Yeah. Like yeah. I had a team, I had people who could just decipher my nonsense so they can understand. Yeah. But I was a little out there. I'm definitely a little more focused now. But I found that I was always a little far. I thought about things well in advance, sometimes too far in advance. And therefore, I already had my decision made up. But I always sit to everybody, if you, can, if you disagree with me, please say it. Mm-hmm. And but just make a damn good case yeah. and come with substance. In the end, I want yeah exactly. I like if 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 I was standing up and you guys, including me, came in and we all had different opinions, I'd listen to every one of you. Mm-hmm. And and what would happen is I'd go with a little bit of each of what you said, or all of one, mm-hmm. or none, right? And everybody left. Usually, some the ones who didn't get their stuff, they'd think I just you know gave in to the one or whatever. But in the end, I I weighed in on everybody's decisions. And if you have to be able to adapt fast, if you screw up, you better better you know run an audible. Don't fast. you feel that after a while, if they see you know what? He makes all the right decisions at the end. I'm just going to shut up. If he said no, it's maybe he doesn't articulate maybe the way I wanted him to articulate this. And 
But if you know your shit and you're always making the right decisions, eventually you get that respect and they, they might go back and say, can you just break it down to me a little bit more? And then you tell well, them that. I think the word always is, is a little scary because I, I'd like to say, yeah, I always made the right decision. But I think as a whole, the sum of my, if you read my book from beginning to the end, it was a good decision. But on some pages, I made really bad mm. decisions, you know, and, I, and but they were normally short lived because yeah, I was you, able to rectify you it. Felt fast. Most of my decisions were usually around stuff I didn't do enough research on. Like if I was acquiring a tech guy, I didn't do okay. enough research. That's where I failed. Or I put someone in a leadership role that was wrong suited. And I've made that mistake where they were amazing on the outside. I brought them in and I realized that they weren't amazing and I didn't make a decision fast enough to end it. Those were the mistakes I made. It was never about the day-to-day or how to approach a client or how to do something or a decision where the business needed to go. It was usually about, about a person. I guess my idea was more about product decisions, <clears throat> marketing decisions, or in your case, it would be I guess more tactical. On, on the, but you should still have somebody. So I think I get your point, but I think that even if you were right 99, to your point, if you're right 99% of the time, you should still have a team that has the radical candor to yeah. say... 100%. This is why I think, 100%. and then you just check yourself. Yeah, no, yeah. no, I, and I agree with you. I yeah. feel like I feel like the ones that you can tell they're not going to work are the ones that are yes people. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I can't. They don't bring you. They don't, yeah. There's yeah. no leverage. Yeah, also people who execute too fast without taking it all in. But I also, you know, there's a there's a story of life. Like there's nobody who who's some of your whole life's decisions, unless you're Jeffrey Dahmer or something like that. You're only known for one thing, right? But you're just some of your whole life. And it's the same thing with business every day, right? The decision that you're making somewhere is everything that led up to that point, right? So like today, I was looking at plans. Well, I'm looking at plans, but it's an exploration of us as a team getting somewhere to the end, right? And I think you can't make a decision here, here, or here. You got to let it play out. Mm -hmm. And I think when you're making your right or wrong decisions in that path, there could be right or wrong. But then in the end, collectively, you should make overall a better decision. It's like a horse. You're not going to win every race. Mm-hmm. You better damn well win the, the right ones, right? Yes. But I think from a product, I mean, the, you you put a lot of money into it, R&D, get it to market, and then you don't have the right marketing team, you're screwed. Yeah, so you may have the greatest product ever. Like like back to the days, I went to photography school. The best photographers were shit at marketing themselves. And guess what? They have a great portfolio, but they didn't have a good career. It's probably so, the majority. Of- yeah, I mean, that's... Like I wanted to start an incubator here in town, and uh, but a, a real one. Like people do it, it's always a bullshit. And you call it for what it is. You bring people in who have great ideas, they just know what to do with it. So you put the right team around them, whether they're active or they're inactive, they have to decide whether they want to stick around or not. And you give them opportunity and you'll get some gems out there. And then you get the investment because we have access to money now differently than others. If you have the right product, you can, like you said it earlier, Brett, I just, I, I, if I can make this and make the product, I can know I can market it, I can yeah. sell it. And it's true. I can sell anything. You know, I mean, you can sell anything. You have different skill set than mine. And but it's a matter of is it a good product first? If it's not, hundred percent. If it's not, you're just gonna get the returns, right? Yeah. Well, early days of video. I remember we say video. You know, still photography, whatever video. What sold more? And I'll never forget there was a client of ours that only cared about revenue because all their they didn't care. The returns just got all built back to the manufacturer. And I said, well. They said, so we don't care about the returns. I said, well, you should. And I'm like, why? I go, because if they're returning to you often, your name of your big giant internet computer company is now getting associated with returns. And I said, long term, they'll stop shopping from you. You know, I said, so if you make videos, you'll be able to show them not to return this printer because of X, Y, or Z. 
and so on. And they never cared. They never did it. So I don't even think they're in business anymore. They were wow. major, major. That's funny. I'm not saying it's because of that, but in the it, end, that's it. Everything adds. Yeah. In the end, you, you're the sum of it, right? You're some yeah. of all those decisions it's very, you make. It, it's it's kind of like the uh, American automobile industry. And for many years, they've they've neglected the that mindset, right? Yeah. When they're going in from a finance mindset instead of engineering mindset that had uh, for the Japanese automobile industry, right? And they were all thinking about <laughs> maximum profit, quarterly earning, and they would come down with a product that was inferior eventually yeah. to the Japanese and eventually it was known as something that breaks more and so on. Yeah. And that's the same thing. It is. It is. I mean, you just got to do a good job and get things right. I mean, it's, it's, it's that basic. Make a good product. Mm. Make sure it works. Make sure it does what you say and market the fuck out of exactly. it. And then guess what? Then know what your next version is going to be. Wait, 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 and then change it and then market the fuck out of that, right? Apple. Apple and the iPhone is a brilliant, most brilliant thing. It's kind of ruined society, but I still am addicted to it too. But the reality is they know what the next five versions of that are going to be, right? Nothing's monumental anymore, but it's how you market it, right? And now you just want the best one. For me, I want the best camera. Other people may want other things, right? So they know what it works. And, and, and they go yeah. through it. But but early days when they were making monumental upgrades, they knew what they were going to do for the next couple of years. So so I tell everybody, like especially in marketing, don't vomit it all today. Bits and pieces. Build it up. Learn from it. Learn from it fast. Make the changes. Do derivatives. And then just keep going with it. And then, and then there's a saying I used to say, I always used to see it on TV. Like Remember when they used to run reruns in the summer, right? TVs. Yeah. And uh, NBC used to say, if you haven't seen it, it's new to you. Right, That's yeah. so it's a good way to say. Back then, you didn't you didn't have DVRs, you just yeah. had you didn't have on YouTube. So I always tell everybody, don't change an ad if it's working, because it's it's your it's your you know it's your it's the first touch on there. Yeah, if they haven't seen it, it's new to them. It's yeah. just not new to you. It's working. Don't change it. Change your second, third, fourth touch based upon what's working. And I don't know how I just got there, but I think it's a matter of just understanding what the product is. And, and meandering with it, you know, from the right intelligent business decisions. You feel like uh, 30 years when you're building your company and you grew, you had a couple aha moments where you saw someone who said something or you looked at and you <clears> said, <throat> oh, I never thought about that. You modified it. Mm-hmm. And then yes. You saw. It's funny you ask that. There's one specifically. Um, I used to go to Starbucks in the morning. I was a tea drinker, not a coffee drinker. And um, and I'll never forget the Starbucks right up the street. Um they were closed for like a month or two and redid it. And I went in there, manager, I got friendly with everybody there. Um, I, I don't know about you guys, I talked to everybody everywhere, annoys the hell out of my kids. But so um, I got friendly with them and, she's, and the manager's so mad and stressed. I'm like, what's wrong? She goes, they ruined the store. I'm like, honestly, it's really nice. She goes, no. And she says, I have to hire an extra person now. I'm like, why? She goes, because now they, they put the oven or the, what are the barista things too far, too many steps away. So now I have to hire another employee. That was an aha moment for me. I went back to my studio that day and redesigned how we actually ran our photo shoots. Huh. And I was able then, I reconfigured it all and I increased our productivity by almost 20%. Wow. That, that's the McDonald's story too. It was yes. fucking great. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. You should have watched the founder back then. You would yeah. have been. Yeah. I'll tell you, but who didn't like me were the models, things like that. I found like the models are models, right? So they like to smoke, chit chat, yeah. whatever. So what I did was I put in, in the past, you would have two sets next to each other and the stations would be on the outside for the hair and makeup and model styling. Well, I put them in the middle and I put the things on the side. So once they're in the middle, they couldn't get out. 
it wasn't easy for them just to go walk outside, smoke, get in a fight oh. with a boyfriend or whatever. So they all stayed in the middle. So and, you optimize then, the product. You forced to optimize the productivity. And their footsteps on and off set got shorter and shorter and I increased productivity 20%. <laughs> so yeah, that's the thing. When when you're when you're a process-oriented person, you don't think about that. This is no. a result a result-oriented person, right? You're thinking about optimizing the heck out of everything yeah, during right. the time you're doing it. I like it. I like it. It was um so when when you're saying you had that that aha moment. What, do you have any other ones that were not tactical? Because that was a more yeah. tactical one. They were more like inspirational. Um, aha moment was when I probably, one of them was when I walked away from one of those transactions mm-hmm. uh, early on. It was aha moment to realize that I didn't have to be the center or the cog of the wheel, that I needed to have people to be there. Um, and that enabled me to grow the business better. It also going through a deal made me want to win more and kick their ass. So I did that. Um, that was kind of aha moment. Um, you know, failure, you know, you have aha moments, but they're not an aha moment. They're just a long, ah, yeah. So, um, you know, I think I never had big wins in one go. Did you ever have any big wins in one go? Um, I want to say I did, I, I did have one specific, very not selling your business or anything like that, no, but no, no, big no, no, win. No, 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 I went, okay. So I went on a show in a conference, uh, a CEO conference. And I met this guy. At first, he was a little bit cocky, but then I learned that he was really somebody and just had a lot of input of people asking him advices. So eventually, you block yourself. So I ended up just grabbing drinks and talking about chicks. And mm-hmm. and then, uh, you know, it's like he gave me one advice that I said, oh, fuck. I couldn't wait. I just, I left. I went. I implemented that on my website. I mean, not for my website. It was something else. And it, it, at the time, it was 90 days until you see results in SEO. And 90 days later, 10x traffic consistently until I exit the business. Just one fucking thing nice. told me. Nice. Change everything. So that was one. And there are a couple other ones. There are a couple other ones that were <clears throat> revenue driven in a way that I was just just thinking about buying products different. Mm-hmm. Procurement was different and it changed. And another one was about running the business. I went over to a comp- I feel like the best mentors for me turn out to be my competitors. Yeah. We're being friends. We go over. I look at That's the business, good. I told him, don't you do that? I was like, oh, well, dude, you got to change that out. Do this. Dude. I didn't talk oh, to one fuck. competitor in 20 years. I hated them all. <laughs> no. We, we, I mean, I can tell you till today from my previous, previous business, uh, I'm still friends with yeah, yeah. with clients, competitors. We're all, uh, I just didn't feel like it makes any sense to be uh, just, a, just being nice one time and yeah. everybody melt and everybody's friends. You're a better person than me. I think I do that now. I would do that now. Back then, I, I don't know. I just had too much... I don't know. You go. Whatever. I'll never forget when after we did the merger, I had that's by the way, it's a good story. And I think it's you actually listen to someone, right? You had the aha moment and look what it did. Yeah, no, absolutely. Look, when someone goes and tell you, I don't mind um selling something at cost sometimes as mm-hmm. long as I keep the contract. Mm-hmm. So with the way we were doing things, we would sell truckloads from say different stores. But there was always one guy that would buy 30 truckloads. You know, how the fuck is he buying 30 truckloads? I'm too small. I can't. It's like, no, it doesn't really work like this. There's a whole web of like me that would buy it from him. And you could always sell them. Mm-hmm. So for us, he would just make 300 bucks a truck. And he would still keep the contract. But what happened when you keep the contract? You know what are the great trucks to keep in your warehouse. Yeah, yeah. Those are the ones that you make so much money on. And you just... So then eventually that's, that's, and he would tell you, that's what I'm doing. You should do the same, check that that's contract. Cool. And cool. that was, that was, that was the, yeah. the change. That's how you move from 2 million to 5 million to 10 million. I think that's, that's great. I think in, it was that in your case though, because there was enough for everybody, you think? So everybody oh no, we would, it, 
at first, I There's guess always enough there was always enough, but but yes, not. Yes. But then sometimes, <laughs> exactly, yeah. it's not it's not it's not yes. a straight answer, right? It's not a straight. But what it is is you find out that in some, in the other business we can buy off of each other, so we can be frenemies mm-hmm. and we can flip deals for each other and yeah. we can both make money and that's how it, it turned out to be at the end uh, with all of us actually there was yeah. not one single person that I ended up not and it's it's great because when you exit the business and you get out and someone asks you hey I want to buy some stuff you say you know let me call my this yeah, guy yeah, that yeah. was a competitor and they would literally out of respect tell you you know my cost I'll just give you my cost yeah. it's for your father-in-law yeah. Say, so, all right, like, like to make some profit because I, I don't want you to go. But it was, it was like that. It was, it was nice to, yeah. to see that. I, I, it's interesting to see you have me thinking. I haven't thought about this in years. I would help the people that were smaller, the smaller mm-hmm. businesses. But there were like three or four that were like not my size, but they were close. And I, and to me, they were. I had they were always bidding against me every week, so I couldn't. But anybody that was smaller, I was always happy. Yeah, to but help. even that one business that you merged with, you thought there was competition there, there but wasn't. there was none. I know. It turns out there was out of the four I thought that were, there was maybe only one that was a competitor. So I would have been better off being friends with all of them all that yeah. time. So and it's it is true. So I tell people, yeah. I, like I said, I do it very different now. You know, it's look. I mean, we, uh, we all it's, had. It's also very lonely to be a CEO. Yeah, and it's very lonely when you don't talk to anybody else. It's good when you talk to C- It's yeah. good to, when you talk to other CEOs that are competitors. Because yeah. those are the only one you can actually yeah. share. It's kind of yeah. like a support group, right? Like yeah. AA group, something. <laughs> if, I hit, if I can hit my time machine now, Joe, thanks yes. to you, I will go back and talk more. Well, now you can talk to all the other pickleball. It's uh, funny you say owners. that. It's funny you say that because that's a good point. I yeah. actually, um, at one point, I did start calling all my competitors, um, knowing when I was going to eventually acquire them or try to, but I was doing it a year or two before. So I was mm-hmm. like, all right, I'm gonna start becoming friendly with all these people. And what I found was most of them were lifestyle people. They mm-hmm. loved their business, but they would never sell. Mm-hmm. Um, so in fact, one of the guys um, I texted the other day, I haven't spoken to him in years, and my old business just lost one of the big clients that I brought in, no bullshit, maybe 14 years ago. And so I texted him and I said, I tried to buy you. You didn't say yes. Congratulations, you finally won. Yeah. But I just know I wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> so he responded to me, damn. Oh, yeah. But uh, I was having fun with him. But That's fine. Uh, but it was good for him. He won like a, like a, probably like an eight million dollar client. So, uh, but it's it's you know I think I think you look back at I don't know about you, but you're because you're a fresher meat out of the day to day than me. I've had longer time, yeah. I think. And he looked back, and I don't know why. For some reason, I was like just analyzing to see how how I could be different and what I can do or what do you, where do you make your mistakes before so you can just be more in tune with yourself. And I think that's where I've been doing the last couple of years. Don't you feel like the exit was probably the biggest teachable lessons any any entrepreneur can go through? Learning so much how PE work or VC, just the whole process is it's, so massive. So you, you just come out so different from the other side to learn how the corporate world thinks and it is. I didn't know. I was naive. I dealt yeah. with corporate clients, but I wasn't corporate. So yeah. now that I, I've come out of that, now I can function in that world very easily. I know how to talk to banks. I know how to talk to investors. I know how to talk to people. I know how to build. I, I tell my I tell my kids, you could convince anybody to do anything if you have a good spreadsheet and a good PowerPoint, right? And that's so true. You convince anything, anybody. It's a yeah. joke. Now, 90% of all spreadsheets are wrong. It's a fact. I love it. Whether they're wrong by like one cell or everything, but I'm not going to do that. I'll always be honest and I'll believe in my numbers. I'll believe in everything. But you can convince people if you can show them, mar- it's marketing, marketing and data, mm-hmm. you know, Excel. It's, it's, um, and it's like this, like the, the smartest man in the room might write on a piece of napkin versus the much less smarter person and 
like 10% of that person, but it's going to make a better PowerPoint. They're going to get all the attention. Yeah. They'll get the projects done and that's where people f- fail, mm-hmm. right? They, they just can't identify the real alphas, the real yeah. A players that are in the room because those are not the ones that focus on on showing it, showcasing it. So it's, it, it makes a lot of sense yeah. to go and teach your children. Whatever it is, just show it better than the other person and it's you're going to win. But when you're too close to it, it's harder. Like yes. I can go to like Zendu or any of these other people and help them build a deck to raise money or a deck for anything quick because I'm not doing it every day. Yeah. So today I sat in my office and we're finalizing the deck for raising the money uh, for the pickleball side. And I'm, you know, whatever I raise, I raise and then I'll, I'll backstop the rest. And so I haven't done it for a while and, and I'm close to it. So I always tell everybody, shorter deck, it needs to be shorter pages, shorter pages. Me, I'm like, holy crap. So I lay out all the pages on the floor. I'm like, this is way too many. You know what I mean? so, <laughs> so I make the mistakes. Because you, you feel like every piece of that business is important when realistically. I want to tell the full story, but it's in probably reality, not. You don't need it at all. Yeah. No, no, no. When you look at it, yeah. one go instead of, you look at it digitally on a screen, it just goes next, next, next. Yeah, that, that's, floor, that's how many like iterations that. happens from the first deck that we've done with Boxy before we sold it? I mean, our first buyers were supposed to be uh, big private equities. It wasn't. Uh, Do you know how many slides were in your deck that you used? <sighs> I mean, there were. I'm so curious. It's kind of hard to remember. Which deck? But it was, yeah. it was like, I remember, I remember this. That's what I remember. I was like this, right? So <laughs> how many pages are in this, right? So it was, it started from the first one that we didn't build it. It was our, our, uh, our uh, PEs and, and I'm sorry, your IB. Uh, and no, our IBs. And um, I remember my CFO looks like, wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you needed so many modifications after. <laughs> it gets, it's a journey. Yes, it's a it journey. It definitely is a journey. But one thing sure. Calacanis does with his launch incubator is he works with the people that make uh, like a five page deck yeah. and then a full deck. So I remember when Lillian was doing hers, it was like five pages. I'm like, and she had to get the whole pitch done in like 90 seconds. And that's where a debate class might come in because you can talk really fast. No. You know, and that's, but I think you can, if you're an entrepreneur who can sell your business or sell what you do and you don't need a deck, oh, you're real. Yeah. I'd rather, I could sell you on any, I could sell you on what I'm doing without a deck better yeah. than I could with a deck. Yeah. So my first version of a deck usually has like, Three bullet points on everything because I'm prepared to talk to you. Yeah, I'm just gonna put it on screen. I'm like, listen, I'm putting it up here. You don't have to look. I'm not even gonna. Ta- I'm probably not even gonna talk about what's on the slide. Yeah, this is just we're just gonna talk. Busy. We're yeah. just gonna talk. So, and then next, you know, then the next version has like eight million words on it, and then you find somewhere it's in the middle. It? Yeah, it's, it's on me. It's exactly yeah. the same. Yeah, so it's just like I can't. I can't follow a process. I, I it was. It was so. But you know what? When we when one thing you do when you when you bring good investment makers. What they'll do is they say, all right, now we're going to tackle you with questions. We're going to be the other side because they prep you. You sit down somewhere in New York at uh, Morgan yeah. Stanley, built 50th floor or something like that. They're sitting down. There's all the food you want and they're prepping you for questions and they challenge you with questions. And they said, oh, you can say that. What? No, no, that's a big no. Like, almost, it doesn't matter times. how good you are as an entrepreneur. To say, there's just some things you got to learn. You got to yeah. go through that process and you, you got to give it the respect because yeah. you think you're like, I know it all. Like I, I'll, I'll sell anything right now. If it's about my business, I am the business, right? No. You don't hear it. You need to hear why. They said, well, if we ask you about, tell me about your time. What is time? Total addressable market. 
Oh, okay. I need to know that. It's okay. so funny because first I said Tam, like, what the hell is Tam? Exactly. Right? <laughs> You're so focused on your terms. I don't need to know Tam. those terms. What yeah. is that? It's everyone. And you better know. And you better need, you need Everyone's to tell them with numbers. <laughs> the, the total addressable market. This is the potential. Yeah. So you better do that homework yeah. with them. And they got to be good. They got, you can't just pick any investment banker. If you're big enough, you have yeah. to kind of like screen them. We did a, the first few we did, we knew were practice. He said, well, listen, we're going to these guys. They're never going to invest. It's just good practice for you. Yeah. And then the ones that matter, I'll never forget. I broke down crying after one of them because my investment banker was kicking me so hard. Really? He says, you keep doing this, you keep doing that. And then the other guys and the other, because, you know, it just, they hit a spot with me. I don't remember. I might've been too truthful because <laughs> I'll tell you what, I didn't care. I'll tell you what I think, you know? And yeah. I was like, oh, oh my They're God. talking about the sexual harassment part. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, trust me, man. My whole, my whole world was about, we had models in that place every yeah. day. I was the nicest guy ever. Yeah. I promise you. So, uh, but it's, 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 uh, Tam was funny because I remember there was time when they first came in and they said, listen, we need to get a good CEO. They need to be six Sigma black belt. Right. And I'm like, I had no idea what that was. Right? What is this, by the way? So <laughs> project, project management. Like, yeah. huh? it's like, it's, yeah, it's but, a certification in project management. Okay. How it's, it's, I've okay. never done it myself. Truth, I had no idea. Truth be told, yeah. dude, I'm like, they want a guy who did karate. Yeah. So, yeah like, right. That's, that's what it yeah. sounds. Yes. I'm like, <laughs> I would have done karate more. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So I really believed it. And I kept saying, we need six big black belt. I'm like, what's so big? I get that. I get it. When you're playing, when you're karate, you, you, it's, you, like, you it's a composure, you're yeah. strong. It's Is so that funny. like, do you have, like, I, I know people are like artists and scientists. You have to be a six big black belt. Did like, we, is it Kung Fu? Is it Jiu Jitsu? That's such, a, that's such a weird thing to ask of a CEO though. They wanted it because they felt that the business needed more process because creative worlds, you can't. So, but funny. So in the end, I have it in my office, I think at home still. So my guys in the office made me a, a picture of uh, Bruce Lee. Nah. <laughs> and it was kicking in. He's, and in the top, it said Six Sigma Black Belt, dummy, or something like yeah. that. It was funny. It's good. That's so funny. But you don't know these terms until you live it. I had, you know? I had to learn no, all, they're all new corporate terms. terms. Yeah. Yeah. I interviewed this guy recently uh, for Zendu, and he's hired and works. Works there now. He's a great guy. He's in he's in uh, sales side, um, sales and marketing, and he used way too many acronyms. And I'm like, I don't understand anything. That's annoying as hell. Anything you just said. I said, but he's from call center world, and it's just acronym after acronym. I get it. But I was like, but someone from me, I said, I'm not classically trained in all the things you're talking about. But I know how to run a marketing strategy around it. Yeah. Just please use real words, you know. I but, feel like but I don't you feel like a lot of the bankers when you go through a process with them and they start using all the terms. Mm-hmm. We, maybe with you they won't do it, but with someone else in your team that is not the CEO founder that's about to cash out big and so on, they might look at them as a less than and uh, kind of like look down at them. Because oh, listen, not- I, I can't tell you. I built the business and I felt more inferior in all these rooms than anybody else always. Huh. And and that's I, I don't accept. Like shame on me, yeah. you know. I'll be honest with you. Um, you know, I mean, these. You know, you think about it is they're in private equity. I respect them, but they don't. They don't know how to build businesses. Yeah. It was a private equity group years ago. It came to my studio, and they said, "Listen, you know, we're we're creating a brand." I'm like, "Well, you don't usually buy them." They're like, "No, we're creating it." I'm like, "All right." And like, "Well, why don't you buy it?" He goes, "Because we're really good at buying them and really good at ruining them." No. So I was like, "That's funny." It's a good <laughs> self-aware. So, yeah, that's a good job. Maybe you shouldn't be in private equity then. Yeah. But uh, they, they did a shit job of this thing. So, um, but. You know, it's, 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 whatever. It's it really comes down to the people that you, I remember when I brought the first partner for, for Boxy Chung, a company called Scarp Riley. And let me tell you, every credit I can give those people, they made me a better CEO. The, um, and they were, they were only them actually looking at us. There was just one more phone call at first. I didn't think anyone's going to buy 
a piece of this business. Mm-hmm. It was just sitting out of a garage, a side business too. And my main business, it was just weird for me that we even got an offer because my, my uh, IBs told them if it's less than 20, don't even bother. Pff, the fuck is going to put 20? And we got an offer, right? And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, they, and I remember when I met them, I said, I really like those guys. Yeah. They told me, look, <laughs> usually the ones you like are not going to buy, going to be the one to invest. And even if they are investing, yeah. they're only nice in the beginning. You're not going to like them later. It's just expect. So they ended up investing and till today we were great friends. And it was just, oh, that's weird. it was awesome. It was awesome. But, cool. but the thing is every company they invested in, I, I'm just trying to put back to the PE site because people might listen to us and think, oh, they're all horrible. No, every company, most of their investments did amazing. Mm-hmm. They, they're kind of like there to support you. Oh yeah. They're just not, not touching your business much. And it was, it was, so it really depends. It's kind of like, okay, how much are you going to be involved? Obviously if they go and they put a different CEO in a business and everything else, then well, that's yeah. that. You I know? actually, <laughs> I can tell you, I actually feel bad for the guys who invested. I, I really like really? them. They actually killed it. The PU firm that, that mm. invested in us, they've killed it in all their businesses. And when I say kill it, like 20, 30, 40 times their money on some wow. of them. So, and, and they're brilliant. They just happen to choose a very difficult business mm. of mine that was very different than what they're used to. And the funny thing is one of the groups we talked to, we didn't go with, they were a fundless PE firm. So they just call everybody and get money. And the gentleman they brought to, as they're like the expert is that guy I was mentioning earlier that he's a marketing tech guy. So I, it's been what, however many years he and I are like great friends. Yeah. So, and, and, uh, but at the time it was what it was, but in the end, I respect the private equity guys. I, they need that they, the world functions because of them and I respect their knowledge and all that stuff. And I, and I always was frank with them when I wasn't too emotional because I'm emotional. I'm not going to lie. So, and I said, listen, you know, you just, you can't communicate that way with me. It just doesn't work. You yeah. know what I mean? There has, has to be a certain way of talking to each other where it's, there's a respect. Even if I'm annoyed at you, I'm still going to be generally kind. If you're annoyed at me, kind of be there. But if you're an idiot or you do yeah. something, you don't listen to me, I'm just going to pound you. But I was, but to, you know, now that we're having our kumbaya here with insane apologizing, but there is a private equity there. You just have to be prepared and understand how to work with them. And most entrepreneurs don't know. So, but also they have to be prepared to understand how to work with uh, businesses that they acquire that are outside their thesis. I agree with you. And I think that's, that's the key thing. And I think I had such a weird business. Yeah. How many people, I mean, how many photo companies, photo and creative and content companies were doing combined a hundred million dollars a year, you know, more than yeah. that. So nobody knows what that is. You know, it's funny is you had Amazon for content creation at Amazon and us, we were number two. Wow. Um, Amazon, obviously a little bit bigger. Yeah. Uh, we were the number two content creation volume in the world. And, uh, you know, and, but then you had tons of these people that are doing a million, two million a year, you know, they're everywhere. And uh, so give them credit, you know, credit. They're happy with that, you know? Yeah. So uh, it's, but, but if you're private equity, nobody's investing in that space before. You're like, yeah, you know, you get that flag, you're going over the hill. You don't know what's on the other side of the hill to put the flag yeah. down. What are you going to do? Is there someone going to get out and kill you? So, and it's, it's a tough business. Money allocation is a tough business because you look at different companies, especially in a very dynamic <clears throat> world today, where you look at, uh, say, beauty companies. And I, I, I'm just speaking with another PE told me at the time when they're looking at Boxy, they said, look, at the time, you would look at makeup run and you would say, right, if you're at 50 million now, there is already a path if you go to more doors where you're going to be at 500 million mm-hmm. in the next. It all yeah. died. It That's all true. shuddered we, because now you have so many brands. That you don't know if you come in at 50 and that's where it sticks and then goes down. You have no clue. So you're like, yeah, okay, what right. is the price we need to go in? To- yeah. That's and where that fancy word TAM comes into place. <laughs> exactly. That's where it comes into place. Exactly. And it's, it's I got to tell you, we were, now that I look back, we were scraping the top of it. Through the total addressable market was far larger, but you, 
but our business potentially had the ability to scale more, but you couldn't put too much corporate structure into it because then you couldn't hit the price points that you needed to mm. hit. So our TAM was maximizing because we were burdening. Do you our feel the, the, do you feel though that your business, if if you were to stay in that sale, uh, in order for you to uh, your company name was. Um, What was it? The first one, one before we did the merger was One Create. And one then create. eventually when we did the merger, it was called Creative Drive. And okay, now so it's not even called that. It was acquired by Accenture. So let's just so say One Create, okay? So you said, well, One Create, say you didn't do the merger because there was no sale, so you didn't merge and all that. And you say, well, in order for that company to go from 40, 50 million a year, uh, it can be One Create. It needs to be One Create 2.0. Mm-hmm. And I have to get uncomfortable. And did you have that moment in your company where you say, I'm just not going to go to 100 million. Like I, I got from zero to 40, but <clears throat> from zero, from I, 40 to 100, I, I need to change something. I did that from 20 to 40. Okay. So I stepped back. I said, we got to do it. Went 20 to 40 and went fast. Um, but that was my number because I knew what the multiples would be around that time. And I knew I can sell what my EBITDA would be and whatever else. So that was my goal because I knew that was my FU money at that point. I was like, yeah. all right, that's the number I needed. I know I could live a certain lifestyle. And then I knew I'd roll half and I know the upside would be better. So I had that goal. And at that point, I was thinking about what was right for my family, not about yeah. greed. I'll no, say. but if you say, say you couldn't sell the business. Sorry, my phone. How could you? Oh, yeah. Talk to his parents. Okay. So... <laughs> So then let's just say something happened. You're like, okay, the whole deal falls apart. Nobody wants to buy you. Nobody's knocking the door. You're, you're staying in this business mm-hmm. for the long run. Do you feel like in order for you to get to a hundred million by yourself or 200 million by yourself, was there like a plan to say, okay, this is the problem in the market. I'm not solving it with this one. I have to get really uncomfortable. And lots you're of scraping the TAM with yes. this. I think I could have done it, but I would have needed to take a couple of months off. To mm. clear my head. But it makes sense. Just the whole idea of building your business up to sell. Mm. Um, and then even after you sell or bring investors in, you should leave for a month mm-hmm. because your mind can't think anymore what's right way. for the business. Yeah. You're thinking about, all right, this is a good decision for the business, but how is it going to be for my investors because you're in the middle of a deal? You can't think right anymore. So I, I think anybody, if you ever do it, put in your deal, you're taking a couple weeks off afterwards because your investors want to see you month one perform. Rallies, you should go home. You know, We used to call it in the army, um, end of uh, Siri mentality. So if you're doing a, like a tough Siri leadership, whatever it is, you have the last week. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows it's the end. You can't like have a fuck you mentality already. And like the, your instructors and all, it's just, it's just, so they have to kind of like punish anyone extra because... In a, in a week, you're leaving this particular base. You're going back to your unit because it's over. You're done, right? Yeah. So it's the same thing when you're about to cash out big. Yeah. Your mind, you have to fight with yourself, right? You have to fight with yourself to still do what's right for the business because if that deal doesn't go through, you don't want to wake tough. up tomorrow with Very a challenge tough, yeah. business. I think I had a lot of high-stress clients and not just the brands, but the people who work for them. And I think because I took it personal, everything personal, it was really hard on me. So I think time off would have done. And then I could have stepped back and said, all right, what I learned from this, right? And put the right CFO in, get the right, you know, re-shake up. There was one or two people on the management team need to be changed. They shouldn't have been let go. Their position should have changed a little mm-hmm. bit. And then, you, and then you say, all right, how are we going to scale moving forward, right? And I think, and then my technical debt. So I think the technology was something I didn't know enough about at the time. And I was just destroying me. So mentally. So I think I could have gotten there. Yeah, I definitely could have. You know, do you feel like um, <clears throat> you mentioned before something you said um, you said that your uh, your C like, was it was it that your CFO was managing 
all your finance at the end, you can, but you still looked into the finance. Before I brought investors on, I, had a, I brought a CFO in more just to prep us for sale. Oh. So I really had a controller. Okay. Um, controller. So so in the end, I knew I just I, I knew numbers, right? So I knew if you bid a job, what it's going to net out. But I also knew, you, you know, you also have to look at your overall operating costs. And this is what happens less so in the corporate world. I know if I start compounding work in the same office, your costs go down. Because you yeah. start maximizing the, the, you know, the, the, your staff. You're not billing someone at 100%. Now you might bill them at 120%. So you start realizing that you can start doing those things. So you, you know that's happening. So you know when you can give and take. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that was, I was able to make those decisions because I didn't have a board to... to yeah, you can do whatever you want. I can do whatever I want, knowing in the end, even that would just grow. Yeah. So um, I have a question about... Um, the past business that you did build for some sort of exit or acquisition event versus what you're doing now with the pickleball complex community. Is there a different mentality when you're going in? Yeah. Because you're building this as lifestyle now. Well, potentially, I think any business you can always sell, right? So, but you shouldn't go into the business saying you're going to sell it. I mean, I think, I mean, some people are that way. That's not me. If you do the right thing, the the profit comes. Uh, In this case, I'm building it to run I want to work as hard as I could for the next year or so, two years, make sure it's doing what it needs to be do, doing. And then I still want to enjoy the world. I don't want to be, I don't want to, I may open another location if the opportunity comes, but I'm not looking to open 20. Um, and I, I might get into the business a little bit. I've already looked at investing on the paddle side and other areas in the business um, because I think there's opportunities, but I'm looking at it differently now. I'm also looking at it from a cash flow perspective. I miss having checks coming in. So if this business, it's going to perform the, the way it should, Check checks are going to come in. I'm going to have cash flow, and for, and then not only that, have a lifestyle, a place where I go to the office every day, see people I like. I miss people. I miss working with people. I miss the camaraderie. I miss what you when you build the business, what it becomes. A business is a living, breathing entity, and if you keep feeding it good food, you keep feeding it good work, you keep respect the people. That breathing entity it grows, it, it prospers, you know. And I see from what we're building right now, success is many levels. Success is making sure people who come there enjoy themselves, making sure they're respected, make sure the food's good, making sure the beverage is good, making sure the experience is good, making sure you're maximizing uh, revenue and profit, but not hurting experience, you know, and then doing all those things. And if you do that right, then your profit comes, but it's not about being greed, you know? And otherwise, if you're, if you're building a business that you're that worried about it, then you shouldn't be building that business, right? And so I, the numbers, you build a good spreadsheet, right? So my partner and I, Rich, built a great spreadsheet. It's true. It works. We, it's been tested. We, it's based on data. So we know it's going to work. After that, it's don't fuck it up. You know? Yeah, I feel like if the product makes sense, like you can modify the product once yeah. you get into it. You're like, okay, we have way too many pickable courts. Modify those few to tennis, whatever it is. But yeah. the rest, you, you can go and change twenty things. What you see now, it's not, but as long as you focus on the results, you're you're good. Uh, like this is this is this is definitely something that everyone that I know that exit and I, I keep bringing it up over here that I, I had my exit and two other friends of mine had their exit within a month after me. Each one of them. And bigger than mine, and all of us, all of us run the, the same scenario. Same scenario. You just, I don't want to touch that money, and I don't have any more coming in the way it was. And yeah. <laughs> one of them makes three hundred thousand a year salary. 
Yeah. I was on our shows, like something like that. So his lifestyle is way over that. Just his house, uh, yeah. the taxes on his house is going to be more. He bought something and- That's right. And we have to pay our tax bill this week. Yes, I paid mine. I put it on I credit I did mine card. the last day. The last day? You put it on a credit card. You paid the 2% fee? Yeah, I did. I, I was just too busy and I was- <laughs> That shows you how cheap I am. Yeah. There's no way I'm ever doing that. I don't care how many miles I get. I wonder how much you- Because you built your house, right? So how do they- I got, I'm house? way luckier than you because I built the house. My tax is still a fortune. Keep saying that. Yeah, tell me that. So I can feel great. Yeah. Well, I'll look yours up. You just go to bcpa.net. I'll yeah. figure out what your tax yeah. is. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. One time I had an employee. I walked into the office and and they had the tax appraiser site up and it was my house. That this house, my old old yeah. old house. And then they had my house up on their screen and I did double clicked it and I'm like, let me see what you got. And I go, you could have just asked me. Yeah, you know. It's so that's funny. so funny. Now 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 the boots go by, so they know. Wow. You know, they're always telling. Are you part of the tour? Yeah, but the information is always wrong. Oh my God. They've never got it. They got it right for a week, but it was boring. How do you lower your taxes, by the way? You don't. You can't. You homesteaded this, right? Yeah. That's all you can do. Because you get all those letters from people saying that they can That's lower bullshit. it. It's all bullshit. Yeah. You can ask them. They're just going to take a percentage of whatever they- They lower, yeah. That's, yeah. I did that. I tried. I got nothing nah. once. And I was told I was lucky I had what I have. So, because if you build your own house, you're not really, you can get in. It's, it just works out. So, if, you sell, if I sold my house now- the tax bill, whoever buy it would be like seven hundred grand a year. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. But if you're buying that house, you can afford the tax yeah. bill. So yeah. I wouldn't buy the house now at that amount. I can't. No. I couldn't afford it. Yeah, that's so. uh, that's a funny situation. Well, listen, I mean, uh, this is great. You came over. Definitely amazing. I mean, uh, Scott has ADD, as you notice. You talk. He's looking at the ceiling. We're going to talk. I was only about insulted that. once. Good. Yes. Thanks. I try to keep. I'm going to go five. That's all I'm going to remember tonight. Under yeah. five, it's a it's a win. Yeah. <laughs> go home tonight. I'm like I can't believe he asked me a question. You started drinking water. Yeah, but he's a nice guy. No, I was drinking tequila. He was yeah. drinking Don Julio. <laughs> well, I think I think Joe edition. got me drunk on licorice before we came up here, so I have a little oh bit of a God. sugar high. I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking the entire time. I yeah. mean, while you're talking to me, about, I'm, I'm thinking about the sugar that uh, in my fridge. Oh, I'm, not, I'm done on this that. Is, this is, is I'll sleep sleep give it so you. well. That's yeah. <laughs> I'm done on that. Now I'm going to go home and start my next business. Uh, <laughs> but I, honestly, I can tell you, I'm doing this thing now. But I have one more big business in me. I just don't know what it is yet. Good. So, oh, really? Well, it's yeah. time. I'll figure it out. But right now, I'm happy just to do. I mean, I just want to go to work again. I just want to see people. I want to do stuff. Money. I'm not, I'm not there your investors, <laughs> but your investors make you money if you put yeah. your money with the right people, and they yeah. have good months and bad months. In the end, they do their job, and you have to have ones you trust. No matter, how, I dick around putting money in the stock market, yeah. or whatever else. I never know when to sell. I might go up four hundred percent. I was genius, but I never sell. Next thing you know, I'm down twenty. Yeah. You know? so, so, so did you pull your money out? Or? No, I left it. In. I looked at it as with the with my investors, my investors with my uh, the bank. I'm like. They have the plan. So they sold a bunch. You know, they know what they're doing. Let's let them do it. But I didn't need the money for our next couple of years. So if you come down, you come back up. By the time I sell it, I'd be paying tax. It's the data makes sense for me to not do it. But um, but I know people, like you said, you pulled out. So, or a lot of it, right? Yeah. So, and I don't, I don't disagree. You know, I mean, everybody does what you have to do what's right for you. No, you know? In the end, you do what's right for you. For me, I just, I, just, I don't need it. I know I have enough in the account for the year or so. I know well, how, I what was the percent? I mean, mine was high percentage in the market. And that's why I felt. What's funny is just before that. it tanked, I started selling off bonds because I felt it was starting going down. Yeah, whatever. that's good. So I started selling bonds yeah. and putting in the market. So so I took a big loss fast on that. I just took the loss. So, I, you know, a good tax write off. You throw it in an yeah. index fund and you throw it back in. But um, so in the end, it's I don't look, honestly I haven't opened the app. If I go to my phone right now, the app probably has to reinstall. I stop looking. So wow, I have a, I have my call. I trust them. And, you know, you know that's that's one one business I was thinking at the time. Like, say you're buying Bitcoin or anything else. Like, 
it's very hard not to look and not to sell, not to do anything, right? And you say, okay, can I go and can you sell a service to someone and say, look, we're going to buy you anything, like securities, whatever it is, right? You can't look at this. You can't touch anything for 20 years. And for that service, this is the amount. You can't look at this. Just ignore it was even there. Well, they do, that with, they do that with some crypto. You can stake assets for a period of time where it's locked in. But I think it's a year at a time. Year at a time. I don't think it's more than that. I was I'm not a crypto years. genius. but I don't trust anybody enough for that. Crypto. So. How can you not trust crypto companies? <laughs> why, why would you not trust Listen, crypto companies? I, before it tanked, fear missing out, my tax bill was less. Yeah. So I took whatever was left and a FOMO threw it in. And I was up 50% a week. And... I let it ride, and oh. now I'm down fifty percent. <laughs> Don't blame yourself. We all, we, anyway, I mean, I put so so small amount, but once I break I, I'm even, down and yeah. yeah. Once I break even on it, I'm gone. It, it's it's I. There's a need for it. It's not my world, and I found I'm better off building businesses and letting the financial guys make me my money. I'm not. I'm getting out of it yeah. on this. I mean, I know so many people who are like, "What do you do for a living?" I'm in the crypto business. I'm like, yeah. What are you doing? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> You're buying crypto. What, yeah. what, how, how exactly is that a business? And now most of them are working again, the jobs, yeah. you know. But um, but listen, if you could, it's all about, everybody's a genius to get in, but nobody's a genius to get out. Yeah, that's true. That's, that's not true. my job. Well, Brad, that was awesome. Thank you. Thank you, man. Thank you for Thank coming you. over. You have a long way home. I do. We're going to go and uh, get you to the airport <laughs> or something. Not to get hurt. Yeah. It's very difficult.